With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Are you searching for the best in online black radio? Then go to blacktalkradionetwork.com. Helping you filter through the noise. Real talk. Black talk. The internet is full of half-truths and all-out lies. We've all seen them, and many people on social media complaining about it. Here's your chance to show and prove. WorldAfropedia.com is a black-owned and operated encyclopedia. There are several thousand articles, but we need help. We can't uncover all the truth ourselves. So please, join us and become a writer, editor, or blogger for WorldAfropedia.com today. Every little bit counts. We owe it to the future generations to put the truth out there. Visit worldafropedia.com, the African-Centered Encyclopedia, a global database of African knowledge for the purpose of bringing about global African wisdom and understanding. Worldafropedia.com. Oh, we just loved it. It was hard to do, but when you got it, you got it. There was a right and wrong. See, in history, there was no right and wrong. There was a visible objective in mathematics. And you knew when you got there. That's Catherine Goebel-Johnson. She is 98 years old. She's reflecting on how her love of mathematics led her to a remarkable career, remarkable especially for a black woman of her era. Catherine Goebel-Johnson worked for NASA, making critical calculations that helped American astronauts return safely from the moon and space. She was helping the U.S. advance in the space race, even as the advance of civil rights was still being fought for at home. And she wasn't alone in all of this. She was a member of a group of black women in NASA known as the West Area Computers. Author Margot Lee Shetterly has been has said out to shed more light on their contributions. She's written a book called Hidden Figures, and she joins us from Charlottesville, Virginia. Hello. Hi, Anna Maria. Thank you so much for having me. Before we start, I just want to make one thing clear. When we talk about computers in West Area Computers, we're not talking about machines, are we? We are not talking about machines. It's easy for us to think that in in this day and age when a computer is ubiquitous on our desktops and in our phones and even our toasters, that a computer always has been an appliance, when in fact a computer was a job category, meaning somebody who computed, somebody whose profession was to do calculations, a professional mathematician. For many years, this person was usually a woman. What types of work, then, were the human computers doing? In the particular case of the Langley Memorial Aeronautical Laboratory in Hampton, Virginia, what they were working on is aeronautical research, helping planes fly faster, 
higher, more efficiently, and safer. A lot of the work that's done today by electronic computers, long calculations, you know, everything from simple but necessary arithmetic to differential equations, calculus, higher order math, that was done by women. This group of black women who came um, in and were working as computers were actually part of a larger group of uh, black and white women. And um, we heard Katherine Johnson off the top there. Um, despite being in a, in a lower position as a mathematician than the engineers, she played a key role in America's race to space. In fact, there was a special request for her from John Glenn, the first American to orbit the Earth. What's the story there? In nineteen early 1960s, um, Project Mercury was in, in full boom. This was America's first manned space program. Two successful missions had happened, Alan Shepard and then Gus Grissom. These were suborbital flights, so basically the uh, capsule kind of goes into space, something like imagine a, a champagne cork being popped and then just, you know, following a parabola and falling back to the Earth. Well, John Glenn's flight was going to be a real groundbreaking mission because he was leaving the Earth's atmosphere, orbiting around the Earth and coming back safely. This was a a really interesting moment in space history because it was also a time when computers, electronic computers, not the female computers, were starting to take over from their human counterparts. You know, you can imagine going into space is a risky endeavor, and there there's so many things to check. And one of the things to do was to understand that the computer was functioning properly. So John Glenn asked Katherine Johnson to basically check the computer output. Let's make sure that these numbers are correct. Get the girl to do it. It's what he said, the girl being Katherine Johnson. And girl being the name for basically all of the human computers at that time. They were called girls. Um, of course the they girl were. To do it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, these, these were the 19, you know, 40s and 50s and 60s. Times have changed significantly. Um, but get the girl to do it. If her calculations match those of the computers, well, then, you know, I'm satisfied and, you know, I'm ready to go into space. That is a great story. So you make the point that women were doing this job and that there were white women and black women. They were actually segregated under the original system of the National Advisory Committee for Aeronautics, the NACA. Yes, this was in Virginia starting in the 1940s when the Jim Crow segregation laws were still very much in effect. And so um, how did black women start getting those jobs? It wasn't until World War II, you know, a time of all hands on deck labor. And in 1941, um, a labor leader named A. Philip Randolph essentially pressured President Roosevelt to open the federal government jobs, the civil service, defense industry jobs to African Americans. Two years after an executive order signed by Roosevelt, five black women walked through the door at the Langley Memorial Laboratory. There were black men working there in a professional capacity at the time as well? Uh, There were not, actually. So the first black professionals to work at what became NASA were actually women. There were black men working there as groundskeepers, as um, mechanics, as janitors, all of that kind of thing. That is true. But it wasn't until the 1950s that the first black male engineers started taking jobs at Langley. So really, when when we think about the first black Americans in the space program were talking about women. Now, there was segregation at the time. What was it like for those women at work? 
because of Virginia laws, which required segregation. They worked in their own office. They had colored bathrooms, and they had a colored section in the cafeteria. It actually said that on the little label on the table, didn't it? it? it there, was, there was actually a sign that said colored computers in the cafeteria, and that was where they were required to sit during lunch. You actually um, tell the story of uh, one of the women who asked um, somebody else where the washrooms were. Yes. Now, this was in the 1950s. Um, one of the women that I profile in my book is named Mary Jackson, and Mary Jackson um, has the distinction of being the first black woman to be an engineer at NASA. She was promoted in 1958 to become a full aeronautical engineer. And it happened that one day she was working with a group of white computers and she asked them, well, can you tell me where the bathroom is? And they kind of snickered because, you know, well, they said, well, we don't know where your bathroom is, meaning the, the colored bathroom. And you can imagine this, this was a real a moment where this woman, Mary Jackson, well-educated, professional, doing very well in her job, was confronted with the ugly realities of Jim Crow segregation there in this very professional workplace. So, you know, it, it, it took a lot. I mean, this, I think a lot of times we think about the courage that it takes to protest and to, to make changes. There's so many different ways to do that. And I think to go into a workplace like that every day, a segregated workplace, and to still do absolutely top-notch professional work, it really takes a lot of guts. And I think that, you know, the everyday courage of these women definitely created opportunities for women of all colors and for African-American men. And why was a job there worth putting up with that kind of treatment? Well, I think, you know, a lot of jobs required, uh, you know, confronting that kind of treatment. You know, I mean, for it's most... It's not like you could black, escape it at, at that time, is you, it? You couldn't escape it. This, this, was, this was a part of everyday life. Many black women worked in laundries. They worked in white people's homes. They did a lot of very difficult, dirty, often, you know, underpaid, underappreciated work. Having a job like this, a, a professional mathematician, for most of these women, you know, and for women in general, not just black women, but for all women who were talented mathematicians who had studied math in school, the primary option was to become a math teacher. And so having a job as professional mathematician and in one of the highest level scientific organizations in the world, well, I mean... You know, that truly was a, a, a door opening on an entirely new way of living and working. I mean, this this was a huge opportunity for these women. And, um, you know, they were determined to do anything they could to keep those jobs. A few years later, Mary Jackson has a confrontation with a white male boss, John Becker, who tells her that some calculations she has done are incorrect. What happens then? Mary Jackson's division chief, John Becker, had given her a set of numbers to compute. She did the work, and she got the results. And he questioned the numbers. They just didn't look right to him. So they went back and forth over the numbers. And it turned out that he had actually given her the wrong data as input. So her output was correct based on the input that he had given her. To his credit, he, you know, he apologized to her. And needless to say, Mary Jackson enjoyed an increase in status among all the female computers for, you know, basically facing down the big, big boss, you know, and someone who's very, very well known in the aeronautical research world and sticking to her guns. You know, an African-American woman 
in the still segregated South. And yet, you know, she had the soul of an engineer. That's that's one of the things that her immediate boss recognized about her and really supported her in terms of getting into an engineering training program. Margot Lee Shutterly, stay with us. We have someone else with us who has firsthand experience working at NASA. Christine Darden is African-American. She joined NASA in 1967. She worked primarily as a researcher and project manager, mostly in the field of sonic boom minimization. She is now retired. She's with us from Norfolk, Virginia. Hello. Hello. How are you today? Well, I'm well. It's uh, good to talk to you. Does listening to this bring back memories? It absolutely does. And I've actually learned a lot since Margot did her research and wrote her book. <laughs> because you were the next the next generation to come in. I was I was much later than most of those ladies, yes. Well, we were just talking about John Becker, the boss. Uh, you also had an encounter with Mr. Becker. What issue did you bring up with him? Well, I brought up the issue of a female coming in with a certain background. And when I went there, I had a master's degree in applied mathematics being put into the computer pool, which tended to be fairly dead end as far as job progression, uh, rather than in an engineering section where men with identical backgrounds were put and they began to work on their, their own projects and write reports and move ahead. And it turned out that a young black mathematician and I had been hired at the same time, and he had come in at a lower grade than I had and had been promoted twice and I had not been promoted at all. I was doing pretty much work for someone else. And I think my name only went on one report while I was in the computer office, you know, sort of in a support role. Uh, I was second or third author. And so when I found that out, I really, you know, became dissatisfied and got enough energy to go approach Mr. Becker and ask, because I had actually said things to some of the other bosses and they told me, you know, I couldn't move out. I couldn't do this. And and he was supportive. I actually got a pretty fast promotion after my visit with him, too. Mm. Now, you also began studying for a doctorate in mechanical engineering while you were working there. What, what do you remember most about that? I didn't really know much when I went to Langley about what engineers did. And as they came into the office and I saw what they were working on, you know, I said, gosh, I ought to be able to do this. I had a physics minor. So I did start taking classes. Uh, one of the frightening things about it was that I knew I would be in school with primarily all white males. That was frightening for me because I had grown up, all of my education had been in a segregated environment. As I was growing up, we always heard we were going to have to run really fast, faster than everybody else. We always heard that, that I guess white men were smarter than we were. That's That was sort of the attitude that was in the community. And so the, the idea of going to into a class with them was sort of frightening. But I said, I'm going to do it. And sure enough, when I went into my first class, there were about seven white males and me. And uh, I don't mm. think anybody really spoke to me. Um, what year was that? Uh, that would have been probably been about 1973 or wow. 73 or 4, yeah. And so uh, after the first test, I had done very well. 
and I guess we could see each other's papers sometimes. <laughs> and so, uh, so a couple of the guys in the class came over and said, hey, you know, we were wondering if you'd be interested in joining our study group. And so I said, sure, you know, that would be great. And uh, that sort of melted the relationship between me and the people in the class. And most of the folks, you know, I could talk with and we could discuss issues. Maybe one or two I never had much interaction with, but I very much felt a part of the class after that. Wow. You should see me smiling as you tell that story. (laughs) Context of white supremacy. Gus T. Renegade in for another broadcast, hopefully to share constructive information on the system of white supremacy. Today's date, Thursday. October 13th, 2016, so I have been told. This is our weekly forum on workplace racism. Feel free to dial in. Uh, This is for folks who have problems, whether it's something that's happening to you specifically, if you have observations about other things that are happening uh, in your work environment, certainly anyone who has figured out strategies, techniques that work, minimizing problems with other non-white co-workers, other white co-workers, neutralizing racist activity on the job, you should be one of the first folks to dial in. Uh, if you have figured out some things that work, uh, we certainly uh, could use constructive information uh, to help us uh, improve our situation on the job. I think that Probably most folks here uh, would sign up for that. The number to dial, 641-715-3640. The code is 564-943-POUND. Press star 6 if you would like to participate. The number again. 641-715-3640. The code is 564-943-POUND. Press star 6 if you would like to participate. I will again stress uh, this particular program. This is not a spectator broadcast. Uh, This is not, you know a program for you to snuggle up, have some grapes or whatever your other favorite snack item, get your comfortable spot and tune in and listen to other black people talk about their trials, tribulations, uh, or strategies that have worked uh, to help get them, keep them uh, from having troubles on the job. This is about sharing. Uh, I will state again, we have younger listeners, folks who do not have like a lengthy work history, so it's very uh, helpful for them uh, just to kind of get an idea of the types of things that they unfortunately might have to deal with so they can already be thinking uh, of strategies, what they will say, what they will do if they have to deal with any of these type situations. I think it's also very important just seeing the similarity with regards to the ways that racists individuals classified as white the ways that they target us on the job just seeing how similar it is uh, across region across age group it's the same types of things so i think there's a a strong value to that as well Uh, and just you know even if you're reflecting over your uh your total work experience right 
looking back when maybe you were a bit more confused about racism, the understanding that you have now, looking at situations, what you did then, what you would do now, I think that can be very helpful uh, as well, even from a personal standpoint, just having some reflection as we all continue learning. Uh, as I've stated consistently for this program, really any program, but particularly for this broadcast, uh, if you are unable to participate live, you can email your situation, scenario, observation, whatever your comments are. You can email them to me and I'll share uh, on the program. Uh, we can certainly keep an anonymous email address until justice at gmail.com. Until justice at gmail.com if you uh, send it to that account I'll keep an eye out as we progress through the broadcast and I will read as we go we had quite a few folks who uh, wrote in uh, since last week's workplace racism so I will share some of these at the beginning if I can't get them all in at the beginning then I'll just sprinkle the rest in as we proceed uh, first one uh, I was listening to the previous workplace racism segment, and there was a black male teacher that mentioned not smiling enough in regards to applying for a job. This happened to me during a job interview with a school. I thought everything went great, and they even mentioned how impeccable my resume was. However, I did not receive a call back. I emailed them to ask what I could have done better. The supervisor that conducted the interview said, You know, it's real difficult to say. Interviews are difficult. We don't always get these things right. There was just one thing, though. You didn't smile enough during the interview. You were a little too serious, and we didn't really get a feel of your personality. I took note, I took note of this, and during my next interview with another job, I smiled excessively. Needless to say, I got hired. My supervisor said, you know, one of the reasons I wanted to hire you was because of that smile. You have a great smile. Lesson learned. They don't care what we bring to the table in regards to teaching and education, just as long as we are not threatening and we don't scare the white female teachers. Hmm. Someone said something about white female teachers being at the center of a lot of our problems with the racist educational system in uh, the U.S., but proceeding. Uh, I think that's in The Spook Who Sat By The Door, second to last session tomorrow, where he talks also about black people being able to uh, manipulate and get where they want to. Just keep smiling. Just keep smiling. Uh, okay, next letter. Uh, let's see. Okay, next one. Uh, academic degrees insulting non-white people from racist man, racist woman, racist child. Uh, I have four degrees in both law and religion, plus two certificates in financial planning. Uh, in my humble opinion, degrees only expose us to the inner, inner bowels of racism, white supremacy, and makes us just that much more unstable than a lot of non-white people because we have been told that academia is a way to overcome discrimination. But when we see the machinations of white folks' supremacist structure and realize that the field of academics ultimately is not the path to get free, something in our brains click. 
Either we succumb in servitude to racism, scholars, teachers, researchers, professors, or other academics, or we lose mental control and emotionally try to feel out ways to regain control or not and stay in a state of mental paralysis. Many people of my era grew up in segregation with black doctors, teachers, grocers, etc., and are finding the anomaly of racism to be quite disturbing. Uh, as Lord stated, and I found it true, we cannot dismantle master's house with master's tools. I went into law to escape racism, white supremacy, white people, and my financial services job. I went deeply into African-American religion to escape racism, white people, in the courts and arena of law where enforcement of written and unwritten White supremacy rules are extremely palpable, but I kept my law license, and I left the field of religion to escape those African Americans in denominational name only who sanctifiedly support racism in order to keep the appearance of independence. I tried to escape, I guess, to seek the comfort I felt as a youngster in, in the socialization of being exclusively around our own. As I may have told you before, I thought and sold Mr. Fuller's book three times before I achieved the aha moment conclude there just kind of some of their observations over their time working and how a lot of us I think end up being fooled thinking if we get the proper certification uh, or obtain the correct degrees that racists will do right by us and uh, frequently generally always that is not the case uh, next report this is actually about the commute and I've touched on this before I think Roz and some of our other Callers have talked about things that they have to encounter on their commute to work. Uh, I was able to check out the archive program with N Natasha Marin, which was informative. The portion addressing white people's shameless mooching was something that made me think of my commute home. White panhandlers occupy the prime real estate along the high-end Fifth Avenue in New York City from at least 47th Street to 34th Street. They post up alongside bank, pharmacy, and fast food entrances, among others. Just yesterday, I was in Dwayne Reed to pick up something for my wife when a white female approached me in the candy aisle. I had my earbuds in, but without the sound, so she began to hover around me and speak in a cutesy tone to get my attention. She says, excuse me, Mr. Handsome Black Man, I work at this bistro next, uh, can you hear me? I was trying to ignore her a bit, but then I pulled my left earbud out, and she then says with a weird smile, Oh, nice wedding ring. Um, I'm from the bistro next door. Do you have $3 so I can get some candy because my blood sugar is low? I stared at her for a second or two and calmly told her I don't carry cash and watched her change from a floating fairy to a grumpy ogre as she stomped away from me grumbling. Ugh, nobody does. She then spots an older non-white woman and began to ask her for more money, but to no avail. I noticed she didn't bother to ask any of the white people who were in the store, and she soon exited. I believe if you add up enough of those small requests that white people ask of non-white people constantly, you would have a million sites like reparations.me. I agree. Uh, last one. I think I can get this one in, too. Uh, oh, this is our young caller. I will share this. This is uh, his thoughts on uh, the birth of a nation, Nate Parker's project. But that's uh, not quite workplace racism, but I'll share that as well. Okay, folks that uh, have commentary that they would like to share, uh, if you have observations or thoughts on 
what any of the folks who wrote in. Uh, feel free to comment on that. If you have your own situation, that is certainly fine as well. The number again, 641-715-3640. And the code is 564-943-POUND. Press star 6 if you would like to participate. Uh, folks who dialed in with a hand up, line should be open. Feel free. Copy her? Yes, sir. Just good evening. Good evening to all the folks. Then I used to write you all the time about those white people begging that same area. Um, same area. They got a whole bunch of schemes. Um, and uh, the first the person that wrote in, I would love to speak to that person because I would love to know um, what is uh, a degree in religion. How do you get that? And, um, and how are you going to escape racism working at a law firm or working in the field of law? I mean, that's so old. Yeah. Um, I had I was called a hooligan today at work. <laughs> I thought it was very interesting. Um, I, I couldn't really respond because the person... Uh, who was eavesdropping walked away. Uh, talking to my coworker, uh, he was uh, actually um, talking to me about um, seeing birth of a nation. So I, you know, said, "How was it?" So he discussed it with me, and then this um, white lady um, came and asked a question. So we got out of that conversation and decided that we were just going to talk about you know, whatever that she was standing in. So I said, man, um, you know, I had, I told him last time I went to the movies, you know, I went to see um, The Purge, whatever, and da 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 and I was shocked at how experienced, you know, just making small talk. So, um, you know, she walked away, and um, the conversation that we was having, at this point, you know, we're, we're trying to fix the copy machine, we're trying to unjam it. Um, it's a huge copy machine with different compartments that do different things, and the paper was all through it, you know, in different places, and you had to unjam it so it could work again. And um, um, we, I told him, you know, when I was young, you know, we used to, how we used to sneak in the movies, you know, when I was growing up, you know, never had to pay for the movies. So then he went into the conversation on how he used to do it in Brooklyn, and he grew up. And the white lady must have came back, and we were on the floor, you know, trying to unjam the machine. And she said, oh, my gosh, you guys are hooligans, and walked away. And I said, ain't this my mom? And he said, oh, don't you start. You know, I was like, I can't go out and look for her now, you know, but I wish she would have stayed there. I would have asked her, what's a hooligan? Uh, I would have got into a conversation, but uh, that kind of, you know, threw me off today. Uh, also, another problem I've been having at work, and this is a, really a classic piece of racism, um, the person who didn't want to properly train me, um, she, what she does is, to me, she takes advantage of her break situation, and I cover her break. So um, her break, she is a, a two 15-minute to an hour break. Um, so she wants me to, you know, I already told you she wants to, to dictate the time I'm supposed to cover her. She didn't do that with the guy who was there before me. But, you know, so I, I appease that. Because, you know, who am I going to go and say something to? I'm a pimp. So, um, so what I know that she does is that her, she takes her 15 in the morning, and she doesn't take her 15 in the afternoon. What she does is she takes her, her lunch, an hour and 15-minute lunch. 
um, and that's okay with the boss. So okay, that's that's what she does every day. But what she what she really does is she goes and she gets her food and stuff, and she goes and prepares it. Right while I'm sitting there, so that takes about a good 15 minutes. She goes to the bathroom and does all that stuff. Then she comes back and grabs her book and stuff, and I'm going to lunch. So now I've already been there 15 minutes, and she's going to take an hour, 15-minute lunch. So I'm covering her for an hour and a half. It takes away from my work, and this is um, the busy season um, in insurance, you know, making the booklets and things that's going out to the clients um, who offer insurance to the employees or whatever. So um, what she did last week, she got in trouble. Because I noticed um, now my, the guy I work with, he usually leaves at 4.30. I stay till 5.30. Uh, the boss usually leaves at 5. At 5, as soon as the boss goes, she gets up and leaves the desk. And, um, you know, I don't know where she is, you know, but I just noticed this several times as I'm walking around the office doing my job that she's not there. And last week, um, the, the, the owner of the company called, and she wasn't at the desk. And she comes in the next day, and she got in trouble. So um, she tries to position the conversation like, oh, man, we're in trouble. And I said, well, what happened? You know, did I direct someone to the wrong place? Oh, no, what happened was yesterday I took a break at 5 to go to the bathroom because I couldn't hold it. And, um, and the you know, owner called, and nobody was there to answer the phone. So he had to call the boss, and, you know, either way, they called me in the office today, and, you know, so now we can't leave the desk. I said, well, I don't never leave the desk. So I don't. So she says, well, now from now on at 5, what I want you to do is come and cover me so I can take a 15 and go in the bathroom and do what I have to do. So now I'm covering her another 15. So this is an hour and a half plus two fifteen. So this is two hours of break she's getting, you know, during the day, which I think is ridiculous, but it's no one to complain to because I don't want to be the complainer being that I'm a pimp. And, you know, um, it's, you know, so it kind of um, really pissed me off because the guy who I work with, he, man, she's taking advantage of you. I, I would say, but he's been there, you know, I can't just say something, you know. Um, the, the last thing I wanted to say is I got a call today from the other job I've been trying to get, and um, they want me to start Monday. The problem is that they want me to start, um, it's a night job looking at the hospital overnight. And my plan was to keep both jobs, but um, they need me to train for the first two weeks during the day. So I'm going to have to go in tomorrow and um, tell them that, hey, you know, this is pretty much going to be my, my last, you know, day or, you know, can I come back in two weeks? So I uh, called the lady in the hospital back and I explained my situation um, Spanish, um, a Latino lady, um, you know, a, a black lady who don't know she's black but she's Spanish pretty much. And um, she, she kind of understood. She said, well, listen, I need you to at least train Mondays, Tuesdays, and Wednesdays for the next two weeks. And Thursday, Friday, you can work your night shift, and that way you can at least be able to go there Thursday and Friday see if that'll work for them. So that's the, the way I'm going to have to try to position it tomorrow, and hopefully it works for me. If anyone had any advice on how I could word things or, or work it, I would be uh, very pleased. And um, thank you very much for taking my call, though. Um, okay, I, I have something. So I just have some advice for non-white people. Um, I have 
in my opinion, I've kind of been working with this theory for a while, and I've seen it work well for some people. Um, but um, what you can do is, if you try to get jobs that are online, where you don't have somebody staring at you and then wanting to practice racism on you because of the color of your skin, obviously, um, that tends to help. So, like for instance, there are people who sell things on eBay or Amazon and make a lot of money, and people don't know who they're buying things from. So they're probably going to treat your products as if they were from a middle-aged white man um, with just you know Amazon being in between. And then there are companies who do things like social media evaluation, um, and it's a decent pay rate. You can make like 15 an hour, 17 an hour. And um, I know black people who have been doing this for years. They do it from home. Nobody ever sees them. And um, like Lionbridge is one company if you want to look that up. Um, basically, how well you do is just based on your ability to do the work like scores that you get. So all they really care about is how well you can do the work. Um, and that's just put up against everybody. And it's, it makes it really objective because there's like a number that you could get for like an accuracy score for how your work is going all the time. As long as your scores are good, you know, you really are not going to be singled out. Um, and then, and there's a lot of different things like that, like people who do um, like the, the proof reading, well, no, copywriting now online. Just a lot of jobs where you can be anonymous will help you to kind of um, compensate for it the system in place. And then I have a, like kind of like a question that I was debating whether I was going to speak on or not, but if anybody following up wanted to call in and give me advice on this situation. I feel like um, I'm having um, a teacher practice racism against me in a school situation, which I feel like is kind of related to work, you know, because it's going to affect my career and everything. But um, basically in order to pass this class, I had to get a 75 on this test and I got a 70. And this woman made me repeat it. And I feel like if I was a white person, she would have just been like, okay. So already that's like insane to me that I'm having to repeat this whole class for five points on a test. And now that I'm repeating the class, she basically doesn't communicate with me at all. She doesn't post quizzes or tests, even though we have like a contact in the form of a syllabus where it's like every week you get a quiz, every month you get a test. Like she, she posts no quizzes, no tests. Um, I halfway with that, I'm just like, look, let me just take my test I need to pass over again, and then I'll be happy. But I'm w worried that she might be using this, that she could twist this against me in the end. Like, you didn't take any quizzes. And I'll be like, you didn't post any quizzes. Because I go to school online. So, But in this case, they know I'm black. Because <laughs> when you take your test, um, the, com the camera on your computer records you. Um, so like she doesn't respond to emails, things like that. And they have done studies that show like, you know, they will respond to a white male fast and like if you're like black or female, they take their time responding to you. It takes her forever to respond to me. So if anybody has any like advice about that, like how I can just get through this, um, if they just want to like speak on that, then that would be helpful. And that's all that I have. Hmm. Um, 
I was thinking about Thomas's uh, situation first. Um, I guess one thing I was going to say with Thomas's situation with the breaks um, is that something like in the manual? Does it specify like how long employees get for their break or their fifteen minute or whatever? Is like is that stuff in the manual? Well, I don't have a manual with the company. I'm a temp. I have my own manual with my company, you know, so I have no access to this company's manual. I mean, I still got to register for a paper card to get in the building in the morning. So I'm not an employee of the insurance firm, so therefore I'm not, um, you know, able to see their personal documentation. I'm sure I could probably... Um, ask the coworker for it or whatever, but he's been there 20 years. I doubt he still has it, you know. So, yeah, I don't know their policy. Okay. Um, but what I was told was I would cover her for 15 minutes in the morning and mm-hmm. an hour and 15 lunch. That was what I was told. Okay. The person that told you that, if I'm independent if you, you know, want to address this at all, you could just ask them um, if this person is taking longer than the 15 and then the hour, whatever it is for lunch, this person is taking too. Um, should I just cover, you know, if he's taking longer than what you originally told me, uh, just cover whatever she's going to take, or is this something that should be addressed and see what they say? I had a question for Thomas. Um, just based on the fe- the female um, taking this extra time, it seems like she does this in a on a regular basis. So I guess she has this built out into her schedule in her mind. I wonder, do you think that she does drugs? Just simply because you know drug addicts have to have their drugs with, at a certain time so that they don't go through no, withdrawal or whatever no, the case may be. You know, she acts hard, but she just you know she's. She's not the most um, intelligent white person. However, she's smart enough to know she's white, so that makes her a lot smarter than me. But she's not the most intelligent um, white person. She's very all over the place, um, very ditzy. And um, I don't think it's so much of a situation. I think she just wants to get over it and have an extra time to read her little books and and, um, do her little makeup. And, you know, she's an older white woman as well. Okay, thanks. That is your white moocher uh, again. Uh, that came up before about blacks allegedly being the moochers and we just want welfare. Uh, the female caller in, in uh, Georgia, um, I think that's uh, great suggestions. Uh, someone, I think we were having that conversation before about finding uh, employment opportunities where maybe you can drastically minimize or totally eliminate having direct contact uh, with whites if they're like sites that you would recommend that have maybe some listings of those type opportunities that might be helpful, uh, at least something kind of people can have on the side uh, just in case, you know, if things get bad or get tight, um, that that can be an option folks can explore. I don't know if you know any sites you would recommend people checking out. Yeah, another one that's really good, and they hire um, year-round, but, well, it's appen.com, A-P-P-E-N.com. So they're basically always hiring, but sometimes they're not hiring. But if you just put in an application 
for instance, when I was hired, there was a delay of a few months to where I thought like they had forgotten about me, but they're just, you know, when they have another project come up. And it's excellent. Like I've seen black people who are, have social anxiety and, basic, and, and uh, can't deal with authority do very well for many years with these jobs. And they just pay you direct deposit. You work whatever time you want to during the day. Um, I think it's, it's, it's great. So appin.com is one. Another one is Lionbridge, which is like L-I-O-N-B-R-I-D-G-E. I don't know if that's just .com, but that's the company, and you would be able to find that online. And um, basically the, the, the typical way that you would find out about the jobs, like try to find like a tab on the main page that says something like careers or work with us or job opportunities. It should be pretty straightforward once you get to the website like how to go through the application process. And there's a, but there's a lot of different online type things, and I think that that will increase. And so I think, like, I'm, I feel really positive and hopeful about that, that that's like, going to be really great for us. And even I think people might sleep on eBay and Amazon. There are groups that you can join on eBay and Amazon and see where people are making um, six figures a year, $70,000, you know, it's really how, however much you want to invest. And it's close to entrepreneurship because you do have to, like, purchase the product. But, I mean, Amazon has, like, rules, and these people discuss, like, strategies for things, and they open up different, like, markets and avenues all the time. Um, like, they just started selling food. You could do that um, and get really into that and be even more independent and not have any cap on your income. And this is another thing she can do anonymously and so not have to deal with the racism. It's very endless list. There are also books that just list um, online work. Um, I think a lot of people shy away from it and think that a lot of this is not legitimate and it's scams. Of course, definitely be aware that there probably are some fake things. There have been, I remember when I was little, there used to be these work-at-home things like envelope stuffing and you gave them 50 bucks and then you never got paid and it was weird. But there's like real jobs and real companies and a lot of legitimate companies are doing remote hiring now too. So you can get books online that just list like hundreds of places that hire for work online. And I think it's great. It's more healthy too. No commuting, no eating crazy fast food in the middle of the day, just being at home. It's more balanced life, work-life balance. So. Spectacular, spectacular. Appreciate that. If folks have any other commentary on that, feel free also. Um, I know we have listeners who are definitely interested in that sort of thing. Um, anybody else that we haven't heard from, if you had uh, commentary, questions, or your own situation you wanted to share? Uh, I got a question. Oh, go ahead, lady. Oh, just real quick. Um, hello to you, Gus, the host, and to the callers and listeners. Um, uh, just a comment to Thomas from New York. Because um, you said he's a temp employee. I'm a temp too. So what I would suggest, Thomas, is that you address that through your agency. You have a manager at your temp agency. You need to talk to them and explain to them what's going on. And they would get in touch with her boss and let, let her boss know what she's doing, mooching, like you said. Because it's like you said, you know, you're literally uh, relieving her for two hours while she, you know, she's and she's taking full advantage of you, you know. So while she's taking an hour and 15-minute lunch and then, you know, at 5 o'clock, you know, 5 o'clock she messes up and then it comes back and tells you, oh, my God, we're in trouble. Like, no, I'm not in trouble. You are in trouble. 
but my suggestion would be address it through your tip agency because your manager, I mean, in a sense, she's abusing you, and that agency is not sending you there, you know, to be abused by, you know, who you're working for. So, I mean, she's just way out of bounds. So I would just suggest that you uh, talk to your manager at your agency and let them handle it with her boss. And I'll meet myself. Yeah, to that lady once. <laughs> and um, she eyed me. Now the last time I see her, my check is up in my account, so I don't ever have a problem. You know what I did? What I did do though was last week, when this um all really started, I put on my time sheet for this week that extra half an hour. So I'm gonna see what happens. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because yeah, yeah, your every day I put an yeah. extra half an hour because what I what I've done is it, being that it throws me off that last fifteen minutes when I'm supposed to be doing stuff, it kind of throws me off, so it takes me longer to finish, which I don't have a problem. So, hey, now you gotta pay me an extra half an hour because it's gonna in order for me to have everything you want done for the morning, it took me an extra half an hour to sit there. So I'm just waiting for them to come to me. Like, how come on your timesheet? You, because that's the way I feel like I can address it without snitching or, or causing a problem with this lady who, um, even though she's not the brightest crayon in the box, she has a lot of power, and um, yeah. she can screw me over if she wants to, you know. So I, I just really yeah. don't want to, you know, snitch on her and make her, make me her enemy, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, I, I get that. So, well, like you say, if you are, well, you are, adding that extra half hour because, believe you me, eventually they will ask you what's going on that you're doing that. So that, that you know, that's the best way, you know, for you to handle it because I, I, I get it, you know what I'm saying, about the snitching, especially because you work with her and you know what she can do, what she's capable of doing. But, I, you know, my thing is just that if – because I do, like you say, you add the company. The companies is really is a concern about you. They pay the agency for you to be there. But, you know, if you mess up, then they – you out the door, but so that's the best way that you feel to handle it. I definitely can understand that. Uh, have you heard? Yes, sir, Tapello. Okay. Um, I would make a complaint uh, with with uh, both uh, entities. Uh, the one that you're uh, that you're uh, going through to get to that job, and the manager or the liaison that that brought you in. I would go to them also and say, uh, like Gus suggested, uh, uh, is this supposed to happen, or how is the how does the break supposed to work? Because they're the they're they're the people on site that can give you what their policy is right on site. Because you're you're being leased in to work, and you're working under their policy. So I would I would uh, make complaints with both sites. Uh, the the one that you you went through the temp agency that you went through I'd make a complaint with them and I and I'd uh, make a complaint with uh, uh, with the person with your immediate manager that's that's managing you on the site I love you my life Uh, other folks that are with us that we have not heard from, if you either had your own situation or if you wanted to speak to something we've discussed already, you should be with us. May I be heard? Yes, ma'am. Hello, um, Gus and callers. 
Um, my my situation, I actually have two. I'll start out with the least of the, the worst ones. Um, so my supervisor, I have, he's, a, of course, a, a white man. He's been with the company for at least a couple of decades. I'm not quite sure why because when I speak to him, his intelligence level of the procedures and the policies is terrible. So I have actually taken the step and complained to his supervisor, who is, of course, also uh, white, and they've said, well, just give him time. He'll he just needs to, because he's actually new to be my, he's actually a new supervisor over me, but it's been almost a year now. But he's, they just say, you know, give him some time to learn it, and he should, you know, everything should be fine. If you have any questions, still go to him. Now, mind you, when I go to him, he does not know what he's talking about, and it ends up, him asking me more questions, and I basically have to come to my own conclusions. Well, recently on my work evaluation, I guess to what you would call it, he had said, well, um, now, mind you, now fast forward, this is a, a year now. This man still barely knows anything, and he's still in the position. So well, one of my work evaluations, he says, well, if you send me questions, because I email him a lot, if you send me questions, then I also need you to send me an answer so that way, because I, uh, he said something along the lines of, I am confident in your knowledge of the procedure or something like that. And I was just highly upset by that. And then on every other subsequent evaluation, it says that same thing. So it, con- it definitely, like, makes me hesitant to ask them any questions, and I typically don't ever try to even really communicate with them because I feel like, you know, he's an idiot. Sorry to just put it out there, but that's how I feel. Well, and it, I honestly feel like there's no, no one's actually doing anything about it, and I'm starting to get, like, um, depressed because I feel like if I am, if I do so happen to mess up on one, mess up on one of these procedures and if it has something to do with, like, a law, like one of the regulations that my company has to go by, then that can come back on me, and there's really nothing that I can, I can't necessarily say, well, he doesn't know, I can't go to him because I've already made that clear and they're not doing anything about it. So that's the first thing. The second thing is that um, before I started to become more codified, I, I was hanging out with like a, with non-white people and with white people at my job, and I had a a white coworker who I felt like I was friends with. Somehow, some somewhere along the line, the coworker, the white coworker, the woman, she started to feel comfortable enough with touching me. And every, every, almost every time that I see her now, and I usually don't see her that often now um, because I've kind of moved around within the company, she feels like she has to touch me. And she does it in front of people. She does it when it's just us. She does it in front of people. And it's not just like a, like, you know, a tap on the shoulder. No, it's actually something to where it makes other people feel uncomfortable. And I feel like 
I've been very introverted all my life, and I barely speak up, so I've, I feel like I've let it go on too long, but I don't want to necessarily cause too much of a stir and, like, um, making it known that this is, like, it, it's gone definitely too far and too long. I'm not quite sure why she's so envious of of a part of my body, but it's something that she kind of feels like she always makes known, whether it's around white people, whether it's around non-white people, it doesn't matter. She always feels like she has to touch me. So those are the two observations I have. Hmm. Fascinating. Um, the first one, <clears throat> where you have this uh, stupid guy who doesn't know what he's doing in the job situation, and you are, if I heard correctly, you said you're feeling depressed because you feel like you could end up in a situation where you get blamed for something and you're not going to be able to say, well, I went to the person that you all hired that's supposed to be able to provide assistance for this, but he's an idiot. So you end up being blamed for something where you're not able to get help from this guy. Is that, am I, did I hear that correctly? Yes. And actually, even to add on to that, um, prior to them putting him in this position, there was a, a young black female who knew the position, knew his job, knew everything that he currently does, but they would not give her the position. They kept basically beating around the bush as to why she couldn't have the position. And um, finally, one, one day when she applied, she said they, they told her that she would have to be in a different area of the business so she decided to withdraw her application because she wanted to be in the same area which she had a lot of knowledge of. And then it turns out that they end up hiring this white lady, also not very smart, from right off the street, so basically outside of the company. And so she ended up finally leaving our company because of that. Just a gentle reminder uh, for listeners, uh, I have said before, and even the caller who wrote in about obtaining degrees, degrees, academic success, that that doesn't really do anything in terms of uh, – I brought this up before as well. I think there are many black people who have ended up being uh, depressed, frustrated, whatever the case – because they thought, hey, if I just you know show up and I'm competent and I do a qual- and I do quality work, that hey, I won't have a problem. I'll be accepted, and that's just not what we typically experience at all. You can be super competent, be efficient, making lots of money for the company. You're still just another nigger. Um, I think it's important. I think anytime when, because if I heard correctly. The incompetent person in the position, they were basically saying like, oh, man, you're so smart, and I trust your judgment, and you know what you're doing. I am very leery when I hear that from anyone I suspect of being a racist because I feel like that's the sort of thing where they try to lure us into being overconfident about what we know or how much power we have so that then they can kaboom, uh, drop the hammer on us. Um, So I'm just – I'm real suspicious about hearing that uh, anytime, uh, particularly from individuals who might be white. Uh, with the touching thing, people 
listeners, if they remember our caller in the D.C. area where she called in over a, a period, a long period of time to kind of share about this, where she had a similar thing where it was, I think it was a white woman, older white woman, uh, who kept hugging her. And she had even verbalized, like, I'm not comfortable with the touching. I really appreciate it. I have children and, you know, I don't want to pass germs and all that stuff. And this white woman just kept doing it. And she even, she would, she became more in my opinion, she became more deceptive about it because she would wait to sneak up on her when her back was turned. So she couldn't, you know, be evasive about it, right? She couldn't put her arms up or see it coming or anything. She would wait. Or like I think one time she even said she was on the phone and she was going to put the phone down and the white woman snuck up and hugged her from behind then. So she's totally unaware and, you know, I don't even know what's going on. I'm just being snatched and groped with that. um, We've talked about that before. That's why I said I always think it's important if you start a new job ask about unwanted touching, sexual harassment, ask about that. You can make it known that you're very serious about not being a victim of that on the job. I think it it can be more difficult to get that stopped if it's something that's been going on for a while and you haven't said anything, you haven't made it known that that you're not comfortable with this or you ask the person to please stop. Yeah, it's it's like I I feel like I was – Definitely, because I actually, I feel like I called him yesterday and asked about, you know, being friends with non-white people, and I feel like at that point, I kind of felt like I was confused, but I don't quite understand where the envy or, because I I feel like it is truly envious of the reason why that's why she's actually touching me, because she kind of led to it, and it's definitely in an inappropriate place, and it makes everybody around uncomfortable because she just does it whenever. Yeah, I would totally see that as an act, uh, view that as an act of racism, sexual terrorism, and I would just make it very clear that you're not comfortable with that type uh, of touching. Just be very clear about that. I know I've spoke with Mr. Fuller about this before as well, uh, and it was with the exact same situation. It was a black female being hugged by a white woman. In your case, you're saying she's actually touching a body part, but same thing, unwanted touching. And he said, just make it very clear, like, you know, I, I cannot do that. And then any time forward where if it even looks like she's coming to get close to you, I would back up, you know, hey, we can be courteous, we can smile, we can talk about whatever, but I just don't do a whole lot of, you know, groping on employees in the workplace. You know, this is a business environment. Let's conduct ourselves as such. I have a question. I have a question of the young lady. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, ma'am, is the, uh, the male that's training you, is he the only one that can train you? Can you request another trainer and just say, I'm, I'm just not getting it with this? He's not explaining it well. Maybe somebody else can uh, help me out, uh, help train me on this, whatever you're doing. Is there another person that can train you? Well, actually, that's the thing. He is actually, he was hired to be my manager. And so when they hired him, I don't know if they just wanted to make sure, because I feel like his last the position that he was in previously, somehow it was, I guess it was being absolved or dissolved or whatever. And so I don't know if it's just that they just wanted to keep him in the company and just put him, place him somewhere. But it's not like, I, I would be better off just going over the procedures myself than, and it's not necessarily something to do with, with training. And, and that's the thing. It's like 
he's consistently been incompetent, and I've actually been the only one out of the group, basically out of the group of people that he's over, that has actually stepped up and said something, said something on multiple occasions. So I don't feel like, and, and actually, and the, and the really bad thing about it is that just referring to, like, what I said before, like, the younger black female, that was the one who knew the procedures and knew the policies inside and out, but they did not care. They let her, they just, you know, let her leave and just left us with someone who doesn't know, and there's really not too many people within the company who can really give us the guidance that we need. Do you think the white superior is there? Do you think they know he's incompetent? Absolutely, because okay. we actually had a meeting, um, my, our, our group, about him because we had so many concerns and we actually used to go to the younger black female a lot when he was actually placed as our manager. And he kind of, of course, felt uh, some type of way about it. And so that's when we end up having a meeting. And I, like I said, I was basically the only one out of the group. There's, I would say, about eight people who we all basically spoke among our, amongst ourselves, and this was black and white people. And we always speak amongst ourselves about, you know, this has, something has to change, but yet I was the only one to actually speak up. And at that time in that meeting, it was him and his supervisor and then the rest of the group. Um, so that, at that point, I addressed all the issues, and I actually, with me, I come with evidence. I write down notes. I have emails, stuff like that, and I pointed this out. And that's when they're like, okay, we'll give him some time. Time moves forward. He still doesn't know. They're just like, okay, we'll give him some more time. He still has a lot of different things on his plate. And then, so I'm like, okay, well, since they're not willing to give me the proper guidance, management, whatever, I ask, well, let me just go to a different area. They're like, no, this is the best fit for you. And so that's, I feel like that's where my depression is starting to come. And I'm actually, like, struggling now. And I feel like if at any point in time, if I make a mistake, I know that I, I wouldn't be surprised if they were to let me go. Well, if you make a mistake, uh can always fall back on your incompetent training and guidance. And uh, you have your emails and your notes to say, hey, I asked about this and I asked about that and I never got a response. Can you explain why? You see. Uh, you, you, you just keep your note and uh, you know, don't speak up so much. <laughs> keep it, keep, don't share your ideas that, that somebody else can use. As if, uh, unless you're going to be a manager yourself uh, and take over his spot, you know, I wouldn't share none of your ideas for their business. They could benefit off of you. Okay, thank yep. you. I just wanted to emphasize the uh, make sure you have your notes because I think that would be very important if anything does come up that the inadequate training that you received uh, document when you asking about things that you don't understand or trying to get accurate information to make sure that you're doing 
correct job, document uh, and try to have electronic like email documentation. Uh, that way you, you can have evidence uh, of you seeking uh, assistance when needed and they did not have adequate resources to help you. And I think that would be phenomenal to have that documented. Um, we had other people that dialed in as well, uh, just if they either had questions about your situation or any of the previous callers that have dialed in. I just wanted to ask, ma'am, is it okay for, for us to ask where exactly is this white woman uh, groping you at? Is it okay to ask? That's fine. Um, it's my chest. She's very envious of my chest. Not quite sure why, but there it is. What about terms of harassment? Exactly, exactly. And <clears throat> I would... I would try to be immediate about that. And even if other people are around, that's even great because then there are witnesses to just make it very clear this is totally incorrect uh, and unacceptable behavior for the workplace. Uh, this needs to stop immediately. We can have a great work, uh, working relationship, but, you know, let's make sure that we're conducting ourselves uh, in a manner appropriate becoming for the workplace. Uh, does anybody any have, a, have a suggestion they think would be better for dealing with, the, with this uh, sexual terrorism? Is there any... Uh a police report? It certainly could be, in my opinion. See, and that's the thing. I feel like I'm, I don't want to give away my, basically, I'm trying to be more codified, and I don't want anyone to really know that I'm, more codified, and, and really it, it, it kind of started because of the, the group that we were in, and I was, for whatever reason, the the butt of everybody's joke, and for what, and I'm not quite sure why, but my appearance started to be part of the joke, and, and it was actually black men who were making fun of my my body, and I guess that's kind of what opened up the door for for that because it's, it's definitely, I'm not homosexual or vicarious or nothing like that. And the, the, the female, she's, she's not also. And she actually, oddly enough, she's actually with a black man and been with him for a while. So, oh, so she's a real... She's a real racist. I mean, she's with a black man. She's a white woman, you said. I would, I would think that if a male was to grab someone's, a female's breast at the job, they would be um, sent out of the job that day. That's inappropriate. So, um, and I was probably, since you let it go on, I would say something to her first. Hey, listen, I really feel uncomfortable when you do that. You know, I, I love, you know, if you want to say be nice, hey, I still like you and everything, but, you know, that really makes me feel uncomfortable. And after that, she does it again, that sexual harassment. I spoke to her once. She still did it. And um, there's no way to justify that. Uh, a male cannot go and grab a female's breast at the job. That's just not going to happen. And I, don't, I, wouldn't, I would imagine the same rule applies for females. Well, my job. A white female is getting uh, practically half the department in trouble because she was looked at wrong. And she wrote a letter to a HR department about how she was leered at. 
So if she can do all that, you're being groped. You're being physically touched. You should write that down, send it to HR, and, uh, you know, handle that situation, nip it right in the bud, especially if you don't feel comfortable with it, because that, to me, is a lawsuit. You should go straight to a lawyer, talk to them about it, too, especially if uh, they don't do nothing about it. I definitely like the idea about writing the letter. I'll definitely make sure I do that. Um, and, and like I said, I mean, I definitely have a lot of witnesses because it was just actually last week. I just so happened to see her, and it was in front of two people that I don't really talk to, but they're in my area, and she just did it. And I'm like, it was just embarrassing. And every time she does it in front of people, it's like I feel – weird to say the least and then it also you know just seeing the look on their face and it's like is this some type of freakish lesbian type of thing and i'm like i have to give them like a look like i don't know what's wrong with this person so but i i appreciate that can i be heard yes sir uh greetings everyone uh i was just listening uh with the uh the lady caller about her uh, two problems. Uh, the the first one is would would probably be more difficult to solve uh, because I think uh, on a lot of jobs they don't really take a good keep a good track of of training and the level of it is not necessarily is going to be all the time good unless it's someone they really want to elevate to another status that's just my thought uh, and I'm, I'm basing it on my experiences uh, on a job that I retired from uh, it's probably going to be a little bit more difficult to solve that problem with the second one uh, I'm probably not going to be codified because it's gotten it, it looked like it's gotten to a point uh, I would I would uh, seek an opportunity and in so many untold terms i would uh let that person know that you touch me again i'm going to touch you somewhere uh uh and i mean that's that's just my thought because actually in reality in a codified way you have to you have to really reach that right from the start right from right from the start when the person is raving I don't know because that type of person is actually is is very keen on the type of person that they can approach in that way. They're, they're, from my experience, they're 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 very keen. It's, it's almost like it's almost like a wild animal and dealing with. Uh, uh, someone that they perceive as an animal that that they that they can take advantage of because of some sort of quote unquote weakness, and I'm not saying that you have any of that, but that's that's what their perception is, that sort of thing, and it's it's already has happened. You'd be surprised about those those quote unquote witnesses. You'd be surprised at how few of them would be when it actually comes to some sort of situation. How few of witnesses you would actually have. It probably would dry up to zero. 
when it comes down to it. You know, maybe maybe if you got an immediate uh, uh, relative like a sister or somebody like that, they may stay stick around. But uh, in my experiences uh, within the people activity employment, uh, that particular element drives up very quickly when it comes down to some sort of, especially with a, when a white person is involved also. That has a lot to do with it also. Uh, if the person in a, in a uh, supervisory position with you? The, the female, no. She's basically at the same level. Okay. I, I, I mean, I, I, as I mentioned, it's probably it's something, my, what comes to my mind is it, it, definitely it's not codified, and it's in, in, in from my from my uh, 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 background, it's, it's something that you don't see a whole lot of ladies doing, but that, there are some now. There are some that would do what, exactly what I'm, what, what I'm, 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 that comes to my mind, what I'm, what I'm sharing with you. But, uh, and they definitely would do it before a male would do it. But, uh, uh, and any, any chance that I would get in a meeting, because these, you, have, you have employee meetings all the time, and someone of a supervisory position, because that's what they train them to do, to ask their uh, uh, quote-unquote subordinates, uh, 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 is everything going well for you? And or some, they ask, put it in some kind of question like that. And then, hey, it, it, uh, 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 bring it up. Bring it up. And, and, and from, from what I'm gathering, what I'm listening from you, as far as what tells me, but maybe something about your personality. Like you don't want to, you really don't want to mention a person. So I don't want Richard. I don't want to mention a person because uh, uh, I'm afraid of what may, what kind of pushback may happen. But it has happened before, and I'm going to keep bringing it up to you if you keep asking me about it. You know, maybe maybe that would be a solution. Be a, be a well, at least pointing in the right direction as a solution towards it because. By that person, that, that supervisory person or who is the owner or maybe a, whoever that person is, chairman or whatever, CEO, they ask that question because they are asking it from the standpoint to try to find out on what the employees are thinking about and what, what they're going through and whatever, stuff like that. And just keep bringing it up. Just keep, keep bringing it up. Eventually, they'll find out on who the other person is. They will find, maybe they'll find out who the other person is. And then they'll bring that to them. It's not. I mean, it wouldn't. It wouldn't surprise that person because that person knows what they're doing. They know what they're doing. They know what they're doing is incorrect. But they're just banking on the idea that you're not going to uh, address it. And so far, they're correct. As far as from what I'm hearing, I'm not. I'm not on your job, and I don't know you. But it sounds like so far they they feel quite comfortable. And they're correct, but you, you, you're going to have to start saying, saying or saying something about it, or putting some kind of action towards it, because it's not going to change. Because it, that, that's 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 what some people do. That's what they do. You know, I mean, uh, I mean that's it's it's what they do. That's all I have to say right now. Thank you. Uh, um, Maybe, oh, go ahead. I'll go after you. Well, hey, hey, everybody, how you doing? This is uh, Gerald from Brooklyn. I called a couple weeks ago. Um, I had an incident with the uh, lady in the um, elevator. I was just calling to give an update. It's been a couple weeks. But um, 
I actually like the next week I went um I had a meeting with my job when we had a when we had a staff meeting. Um so <clears throat> I was codified, I brought up the situation, you know, what do you do if you feel like somebody's going through forward the sexual thing. Um, I didn't get any response in the meeting. Um, the supervisor pulled me to the side after the meeting and uh he asked me what was going on. He wanted to know, you know, what what lady was it? And uh, so I didn't really want to give no information like that, but uh, I guess I'm not sure if they figured it out. I don't know what, but uh, ever since then, a lot of the males, especially the white males, have been really uh, aggressive, volatile towards me. I actually got a new job, so I don't work there anymore, but um, there was uh, the, the, the supervisor. The supervisor knows me uh, from the boxing gym. I used to box. His son boxes, so he knows me from the boxing gym. So uh, I guess they found out that I used to box, and I think with the whole situation um, with the female, she was um, they, they were pretty upset about that, and uh, they kept asking me questions. A lot of the white males that never spoke to me before started questioning me a lot. I wasn't really giving no answers, so they they really uh, you know tried a couple of times to start altercations. Um, I didn't really give into it. Nobody really like put their hands on me or nothing like that, but they they tried to say certain things that will, um, you know, lead to an altercation. Um, but, you know, I, I was codified. I just let certain things go. So I just started uh, – I'm at work right now, actually, but I work nights now. I just started on this job Monday, so my last week was last week. So I had put my two weeks in, so I was there for two weeks. And then the last day, the last day I was there, um, I'm cleaning out my locker. And I think I said before that um, – we 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 deliver books and movies to uh to to certain prisons in a certain districts in the county, and so when I'm emptying, so the last day I'm emptying out my locker. I, I don't know if you guys know, but there's a um, well, I'm, I'm pretty sure you guys know this the, the Spike Lee movie, Jungle Fever, the cover, the cover of uh like the cover of the DVD has like a black hand and a white hand. So I'm I'm, I'm emptying out my stuff. And the last thing on on the shelf in my locker was <laughs> was the Jungle Fever um, cover, and it had the black hand X'd out, and it had the word nigger on top of it. So you know that was real interesting. But I got out of the job. Um, I got a better job at night. But uh, it, it, it was a hell of an experience the last three weeks. And I meant to call in. I just been busy. But I really wanted to let you guys know that I'm actually at work right now. So um, I can't really talk that much. But I just wanted to put that out there. Thank you. Thank you for the update. If you have time, I know you're on the on the job, but if you have time quickly, what exactly did they say to you to try to provoke a fight? If you can give like a specific example and then knowing how things played out, would you do the exact same thing again to address the situation or would you handle it differently? Um the the things they the things they tried to the things they tried to do to provoke was um um, I guess I'm pretty sure the, the racist supervisor let them know, first of all, that it was my last two weeks, So and, and let them know that I used to box. So I think that made a lot of males, white males, uncomfortable for whatever reason. And uh, a lot of them was just, you know, there's a couple guys in there that say they do MMA. And, you know, well, one, of the, one of the white males came up to me, and he was like, oh, you know, I know you box. I know you, he, he was like, oh, well, I know you box, I do MMA, you know, I'm, I'm pretty sure I can handle you or something like that. And, I, you know, I, so I, I turned around and I said, what? You know what I mean? And then he would, they would, you know, be like, oh, oh, no, I'm just playing. But they would, and then another white man was like, um, he, he wanted he wanted to, uh, like, we were leaving work and he, he wanted to, uh, he was like, oh, well, you know, 
I kickbox and I box sometimes too. You're not the only one. Would you, you know, we we could spar if you want to. And they would just say little slick little comments like that. But I just felt like the energy was they wanted they wanted me to put my hands on them. So so something could happen. And it, and it was really over this female. And um, that 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 was basically the vibe. It was always they were really questioning me a lot about oh well, what was the girl he was talking about or, or, or they were bringing up the girl or well, was it so and so who was doing this and these people never talked to me before like they didn't even like me so it was just a lot of incidents where they were asking questions and then they would say little slick comments a lot of them I don't even remember like I just let them slide off my shoulder but um. I do remember the, the the guy who said he did MMA said he oh he thinks he can handle me and then another guy wanted to you know wanted to know if I you know I wanted to spar sometimes I don't you know he he thinks he can handle me so two dudes said that to me um, on the way out of work one night and uh, it it almost got it almost got into a situation where it was gonna get where it almost got brought to a level where I felt like I was gonna have to handle myself because. And I thought they were going to try me, especially when I'm walking to my car at night because we leave sometimes. Um, we leave the, we used to leave the building at night, and, and the guys who stayed later, we used to, uh, you know, walk across the street to the parking lot, and it was kind of dark, and they just kept bringing up things about boxing. And, and I knew the racist supervisor told them because they never knew this about me. And then all of a sudden, he let it go the last two weeks, and they were just – they were just acting real hostile, acting like, you know, they were going to do something. But, you know, I can handle myself, and they knew that, but I think they, they wanted me to – do something first, and you know I didn't do it. And um, as far as the question, would, would I do it again? Um, I thought I was very codified. Um, I mean, I I think I would do it again. I just feel like it, I, it was just a lot of jealousy. I don't know why I have no interest in white women, but um, you could just tell that the mood changed after I brought that up. Like it, it totally changed for the, for the next three weeks. So. Um, would I do it again? I mean, I thought, you know, I did it correctly. I, I'm, not, I'm not sure. I think I would, though, um, if I had to. So, um, I don't know. Definitely appreciate the update. Um, Allison Manswell, she's a black female, and she wrote a book about workplace racism. <clears throat> I'm going to see if she has suggestions for sexual harassment, unwanted touching, uh, how to deal with that, uh, particularly if it's coming from a white person, white woman, or a white man in the job, to see what she says. But uh, that's, that's one I think we should be talking about regularly because it's so common. It seems like it comes up about once a week or so, uh, some form of uh, unwanted touching, petting, sexual comments, uh, and, and just figuring out a way to deal with all that successfully. But I, I definitely appreciate the upstate, uh, update, sir. Um, other folks have uh, comments. I think Roz, you were attempting to uh, participate. Uh, yes, um, I did have my own workplace racism incident, but I'll just say again, um, just for self-protection, that people can get something called a tactical pen. There's one that's about 19.95 on Amazon. It's called Hoffman and Richter, um, and I think it's yeah Hoffman and Richter Stinger, and it's basically um, aircraft grade uh, aluminum coated in titanium. This is an object that CIA and FBI agents carry everywhere they go. They can take it everywhere because it's an actual functional pen, but you can use it to put down somebody that's 300 pounds in seconds. You don't have to break your hand. You don't have to hurt your foot. It will allow you to take them down quickly and efficiently so you can go about your business. Um, and that's something that I recommend, you know, for people to carry, especially females. Um, I think it's, a, it's something that's really good for you to have on your person because, like I said, you can take it anywhere, but it's something you can use 
is, you know, for self, self-defense in a situation like that um, where you feel like you're threatened and you don't have to actually, you know, put your, your, your hands or your, whatever part, body part you would defend yourself with, you can use that instead, and it works incredibly. Um, so I would just suggest people get their hands on, on one of those or some variation of that if you, if you have the ability to do so. I think it could potentially save your life. Um, I have a couple of interesting uh, workplace observations this week, kind of uh, interesting. Uh, earlier today, I was talking to a young black male who I've actually known for probably over about a year and a half he's been there now, and I actually helped to train him when he first came to the company. So uh, we were talking uh, when he first started uh, started in the company. We would talk about just all kinds of stuff, and um, he told me about his background. I told him about mine. And um, we were just, just kind of getting to know each other. We both were into music. He also is, is a musician as well, so that kind of helped to facilitate our bonding, I guess, during the time I was training him. And, you know, I just kind of threw a, a warning out there, you know, just be careful, you know, with these white folks because I saw some of the things that they were capable of before. And I said, just be careful, you know, don't put any real trust into them. And, you know, if they tell you something and it doesn't sound right, always get a second and or third opinion. That way you can kind of, you know, steer clear of any any sort of, you know, potential negative situation. So he was like, ah, oh, you know, he kind of took it light and was like, ah, oh, you know, I always do all right, you know, and he really just didn't worry about what I said. And, you know, a couple of other occasions I said, you know, if you really want to just be codified in some form or fashion just to make sure you're protecting yourself to be preemptive to avoid any sort of negative situation. So we hadn't had contact for a while as far as sitting near each other because he's on a dif- on a dif- in a different area than I am physically, and he's not on the team that I'm on. It's only four of us, and he's not on that team. So today I was actually going out to lunch, and we bumped into each other. So when we see each other, we always, you know, give each other uh, acknowledgement and speak or whatever the case may be. So he had pulled me to the side, and he was telling me about my direct supervisor, who is a white female who took over the job from – the black female that I used to work under before, she quit the company, um, which was the best decision she ever made. From what I understand, she's doing well where she is, and this company is so horrific as far as just what's going on on a daily basis. So he basically put me to the side and told me about my supervisor, the fact that um, she's been trying to get him fired for at least the last six months. So I'm like, well, where did, how did this happen? So come to find out, you can get the cowbell prepared. Um, he told me that she had made uh, sexual advances towards him on the job. He thwarted those sexual advances, and ever since, she's been. he said she's made up different things to try and get him in trouble. Um, she's tried to put him in different positions where he can make a mistake that she can try and capitalize off of to get rid of him, and she's been unsuccessful. She just tried to get him written up. Um, just last week, he told me she tried to get him written up for some frivolous nonsense, and she's gotten HR involved, and she's actually gotten a couple of other white female supervisors involved. But those, none of those people are really aware of the sexual element and the fact that she did come on to him first, and once he did not respond to her advances in the way that she wanted, it turned into what it's become now. So um, I, you know, talked to him, and I, I told him, um, I'd asked him had he been documenting these incidences just to make sure he has, you know, some sort of history there, and he said that he has been documenting it. So I also suggested that he would that he get um, a USB recorder. I did let him know that the state, in the state of New York it is legal 
um, to record your conversations as long as one of the two parties being recorded is privy to the fact they're being recorded. And, of course, if he has any conversations with anyone, he's one of the two parties, so it's good to go. So he was actually aware of that. So I explained to him where to get it. I actually um, went and sent him a link to um, the area on Amazon where he could actually directly purchase it because it's only like $11.99 for the USB recorder. I explained to him how it works and how he can utilize it to facilitate recording his days and, and any conversations, any meetings he has with anyone, so that way he has their voices recorded. So if they say that they didn't say something they actually said, he can always play the recording to cover himself. So he was really thankful about that. But um, what he acknowledged was the fact that I tried to warn him earlier. And, you know, he just, black male, Chicago, um, just a different type of lifestyle, I think, where he did not take racism white supremacy seriously. So when he met me, and I basically, I wasn't, you know, overly um, overly intense with it, but I just wanted, just wanted to just look out for another black male and say, hey, you know, just be careful and be codified on how you function and give him insight on how to avoid the situation. And he actually acknowledged that he wished he listened to me before because he could have, you know, avoided this now. I didn't chastise him or anything like that. You know, I just said, I said to him, this was what I was trying to avoid. I didn't even know this was happening to you. You know, I said, I'm sorry this is happening to you. But I said, that's why I tried to have those conversations just to help you avoid because I know how this place is and I know how white people function in general, so you just always want to deal with them in that way. So actually um, his whole mindset has shifted now because he's seen them form like Voltron on them because she's involved other white supervisors and even human resources in her attempts to get him uh, removed from the company. So um, I just want to throw that out there. <laughs> it, it, it's just something that really kind of caught me off guard because, like I said, we would see each other in passing, but this was the first time he actually just pulled me to the side and wanted to have this conversation. And I just found it fascinating. And, again, I just wanted to do something to assist him in trying to alleviate the situation as best I can. Um, then, wow, yesterday I had gone for a job interview. This is the second interview for the job that I told you I went for previously. Um, they called me back for the second time. I actually saw another black male who transitioned from my company to the same company I interviewed in. He's the one who actually mentioned that job to me. So we had a conversation, and um, the interview went very well. So right now I'm just waiting to get the final word. The next step will be for them to get my references, and then from there, um, once they contact the references and verify that, then it would be basically moving forward with the hiring process. So hopefully that, you know, goes the way that I'm hoping it does so I can transition out of uh, this plantation that I'm in. But um, on the way home, ugh, this is crazy. I'm standing there uh, waiting for my wife to pick me up from the train station, and um, there was a black, uh, a black female who was uh, getting dropped off at the train station by another black female. They were in an SUV. So they pull up right in front of me to, in order for her to get out of the car and then, I guess, prepare, prepare to, for the train to arrive. So there's a white woman in a car behind them, and she's beeping furiously as if the black woman couldn't move fast enough for her friend to move the vehicle out of her way. So once the woman starts beeping crazy, the black woman purposefully takes her sweet time. Um, because, and then she says to her, you know, you, didn't, you, you can't give me a chance to get out the car. You know, what the hell's wrong with you is what she says. So the white girl just literally, her windows were up, but you could hear her screaming and cursing through the closed windows. Um, so then the black woman um, literally like, told her, get out the car. You know, she wanted to get physical. So I said, you know, I said, sis, you don't really want to do that right now. So her friend pulls off, 
and she jumps in front of the white woman's car. She said, now what are you going to do, hit me? And I said, ugh, no, you don't want to do that. So she ends up cursing, having a big cursing fest with this white female, and then she said, um, she said, she started basically continuing to curse. And I said to the woman, I said, you know, sis, I said, I totally understand why you're upset. I said, they're terrorists. I said, this is what they do. I said, you know, they, I said, she's acting with you now as they've acted with us for 500 years. This is how white supremacists behave. Don't expect anything less from them. Um, and she literally, like, we, we, she was talking to me from across the street, but I was able to just kind of talk to her and let her know, hey, I understood where you were coming from. And um, eventually the woman went to catch the train, and I just sat there, and I thought to myself, because when I was younger, I would have done something like that too if one of them pissed me off. And I was just like, well, wow. She, I said, all it took for, was for that white woman to just get enraged and, you know, just floor the pedal, and she would have been just massacred at that point, and she was willing to put her body on the line in order to have an argument with the racist about her rushing her to get out of a vehicle. Um, so I just didn't think it was really worth it, but I did want to calm her down because she did want to have a physical altercation with the white female. Um, so thank goodness the white female was scared anyway as far as just her reaction. She didn't want any trouble. She just wanted to curse the woman out and then go on about her business to catch the train with excuse me, which is exactly what she did. But ultimately just the whole idea of putting your life on the line that way with a white terrorist, very dangerous, very, very dangerous. And then today the same supervisor who my coworker had the issue with, um, I had a discussion with her today because I called out yesterday in order to go to handle the interview. And I have FMLA, so my supervisor does not know that I have FMLA. I just acquired it in August, about mid-August of this year is when I started the process, and then by mid-September is when everything was completed. And the type of FMLA I have is what they call intermittent, which means that um, I can call out if I don't feel well on a given day at any time um, and take that day off or a partial day or whatever it is, and basically it'll be I, I have a total of 468 hours that I can break up in any which way that I'd like um, in order to facilitate the FMLA, and then usually it runs concurrent for a year. So after a year, it resets as long as you don't go over those hours. So she had come to me because I had taken off uh, recently because I really wasn't feeling well, but yesterday I took off because I wanted to go to the interview. So she, was, um, she had written me an email um, asking me if I went to the doctor to bring a doctor's note because she said that I had a previous absence that was considered negative, but this is because she didn't know I had FMLA. So then I wrote her back and I told her about the condition I have and, you know, and not the details about the condition, but the fact that I have a medical condition that facilitated me getting FMLA. And um, for that point, she was like, oh, wow. And, you know, she tried to be understanding and empathetic and whatever it was. And then she said, well, I really didn't want to have to go to the second to a write-up process. So, you know, I was just worried about it, so I wanted to make you aware. So I said, well, actually, I should have made you aware of the FMLA thing. I really didn't think about it. Um, so, I, you know, I just said, well, I apologize. I didn't let you know. But I said, yeah, you know, it's okay. So then she asked me if I wanted to use um, just take the time off as unpaid or if I wanted to use, like, my vacation time or whatever the case may be to cover the time that I was out so that way I don't lose money on my paycheck. So I said, well, you know, you can use the vacation time because I'm working on transitioning anyway, so I'm not going to really need vacation anymore, even though she's not aware of that. But ultimately, then again, she had, she had a potential in in regards to potentially harassing and terrorizing me, but due to me being preemptive with the FMLA, I was able to you know, protect myself from even her attempting to, even though that wasn't her approach, 
I don't trust her anyway. And after what my coworker told me, I really don't trust her. So those are my workplace racism incidences, and thank you for listening to what I have to say. I'll meet my line. Appreciate that, Roz. Uh, black self-respect, trying to help out another uh, black coworker and just trying to give him some suggestions, the importance of being serious, suspicious uh, that we do have enemies uh, in the stalls next to us, office next to us. Um, the, situ- the, the first incident that you shared <clears throat> with this black male uh, being terrorized, I guess he thwarted the advances that were made towards him, and then she was on white team to participate in abusing and mistreating this black male. That's why I think it is so important to talk about sexual harassment on the job because that situation, it can go bad any way that you deal with it. If you decide to say nothing, it can just escalate and you could just have to deal with being sexually groped, molested, fondled on the job for however long you stay there. You could just try and address it with the person that's doing it directly and then they can retaliate and just try and go and get their friends and turn it around. Even if they don't bring up the, what they've been doing in terms of sexual harassment, they could just try and get you fired or get you in trouble or written up. If you try to bring it up with someone else to get help in the situation, if they are white, they could just participate in practicing racism and turn it around. Oh, you were leering at this white woman or, you know, doing this. So, I mean, it can, it can just cause so many problems. Um, I, I still, I'm an advocate of try to nip that in the bud immediately because I've just seen where that can get, it tends to get much worse and tends to get much more difficult to stop the longer you let it go without anything being said. But that's just my view. I know everybody does not, uh, does not agree. Um, if other folks, if they have commentary they would like to share, feel free to chime in. The number to dial 641-715-3640. The code is 564-943-POUND. Press star 6 if you would like to participate. Hey, Gus, can I speak to what you just said? Because I For think sure. it's very important what you touched on. Um, I think we have to really start taking a, 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 a certain view at these tactics because when the black female was talking about this white woman grabbing her, her chest like she was, this is a modified form of rape. That's essentially what it is because, you, you know, it's, it's, she's touching you in a sexual manner. It's, um, it's, I'm sure it wasn't, wasn't sensual. It's was probably volatile or violent. And ultimately, she's violating your personal space, and she's touching you, and, you're, and it's unwanted. So this is, again, another form of consumption that we have to remain cognizant of, that white people are trying to consume us. And some of them are energy vampires, spiritual vampires, and just cannibals. And that, what was done to that female, what was done to my coworker, is a form of cannibalism. It's a form of consumption. It's a form of rape, a modified form of rape. So it, I guess is absolutely correct, I think, the best thing to do is nip it in the butt as quickly as possible. My coworker did attempt to do that in this situation, but because she was a supervisor, she used that as her means to exploit harassing him. And she's been fairly successful from what I understand. He's thwarted it so far, like, like he told me she's been trying for six months. But the idea is that she keeps modifying her behavior and adding other white female terrorists to the mix to try and make his life as uncomfortable as humanly possible. So I think it's something we really have to remain cognizant of is the fact that these people are trying to consume us. And these are diff- some of the different ways that it, it rears its head. Um, that's why I think, again, I think The Electable Negro is a very powerful book we can read in the future that will help to bring that home in a way that I think will change a lot of people's lives 
once they get to absorb the, the contents of that book. Thank you, and I'll mute my line. Just wanted to ask a question uh, for Roz. Sure. Uh, what, what, what effect does the pen have? I'm just curious. The pen, what it is is that it's because it's, it's grown, it's, it has a, like a, a dull point to it, so you can actually use it to break out of a car in an emergency, like, like to break a window if you're stuck in a building oh. or stuck in a car. So when it, whenever it hits a specific spot, it gives a concentrated blow from a piece of metal. So if I hit someone in the head, it will probably fracture or shatter their skull. If someone grabs me on the hand and I, I you know, slam it on their hand, I'll break their hand. So basically anywhere you put it, they're going to have such in, intense pain or you're going to break something or fracture something. So the idea is that the whole use of it is to not to have any prolonged battle like you would see in a movie. It's to take them out as quickly as possible, lay them down, and get the hell out of Dodge so that you don't have to deal with any, any you know, potential um, further contact with that person. So really it's something that you can use to completely disable someone extremely quickly. You can hit someone in the jaw and shatter their jaw because it's a concentrated blow from a piece of aircraft-grade aluminum coated in titanium. And because it's in a pen form, you can take it anywhere. They're not going to say, oh, this is a weapon, you know, so you can literally carry it anywhere. You clip it to your shirt, and no one really knows, hey, can I borrow your pen? Sure. Oh, this is a pretty nice thing. Yes, it is. And you keep it moving. But if someone comes at you in a way in which you have to defend yourself, you can put them down extremely quickly. Matter of fact, um, the, I have to find the name of the CIA officer because he actually has done shows with Rachel Ray, and he's actually showed people how to use it and different techniques that the CIA has taught on how to use it to bring people down. And as long as you know how to fight, you just hold it in your hand, and you, you, any way you put it, they're going to have excruciating pain or you're going to shatter something, and they're going to let you go. They're going to, you know, squirm back in pain and agony. And like I said, you lay them down, and then you can keep them moving and get out of there as quickly as possible. Oh, okay. Uh, this is, one, one more thing. This is like a, uh, a uh, scenario uh, question type of thing. Uh, on the job, on the job, if a male, let's say especially if a black male, right in front of a lot of people, gropes a female. It don't even have to be a white, white female, non-white, black female, and she reacts by slapping him in the face. Uh, would it be any, any type of uh, uh, employment pushback when something like that happens? Uh, 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 so if it's two females, and that other female, the the the, the aggressive the aggressive white female, uh, gropes a, another female coworker, and she reacts in the same way. Would there be any type of reactionary difference? Is what I'm saying. That's just something I'm just kind of like putting out there, and I'll uh, listen to whatever what anybody has to say about that. Sure. Uh, people that we have not heard from, if you had observations or commentary you wanted to share, you should be with us. Yes. May I be heard? Yes, ma'am. Yes. Greetings, everyone. I'm Sister Locks calling from Baltimore. How's everyone doing? Right poorly. Glad to hear you. Okay. Well, thank you. Um, I am calling for two things, but I'm just going to tell you about one today. Um, I was... Um, recently uh, terminated from my position, 
and um, it was definitely uh, racism and white supremacy in play. Um, uh, fortunately, I have um, acquired a new job. Um, however, um, upon signing all the various uh, documents to be hired, one of the documents is an arbitration agreement, which I have never seen in my entire life. And so um, I was able to read it thoroughly. And um, to bottom line, the, the document is basically saying you cannot take them to court. You have to go through this, this particular company, which I'm sure they're in cahoots with. And um, I'm very sure that, um, that racism and uh, white supremacy is at play with this. And I just wanted to know if anyone um, on the panel has ever um, had to sign an arbitration agreement um, and is, is aware of any of the uh, methods or steps that I can take to um, at least cover myself prior to um, starting the job. Anyone had to deal with that in signing on with a new job? Does this have anything to do with the union involved as well? Uh, no, it does not. Um, I've, I've actually, um, I don't know if this will help you, but I've actually done a little research on the arbitration group that they're using. And um, it's the same arbitration group that Donald Trump uses. And um, if you're familiar with uh, Marcus Washington, he's suing one, one of the larger uh, entertainment groups. And the arbitra arbitration uh, uh, the arbitration company that, he, that they use um, is one that's actually helping them fight against him for his um, law huge lawsuit. It's over $5 million. Any other uh, folks have – oh, go ahead. Sorry, go ahead. Unions use arbitrators, too. So it's, a, it's probably going to be somewhat the, like the same uh, situation if you have an issue with the company. You bring it to the arbitrator, and, they, and the arbitrator forces the company to come to the table uh, for a resolution. So um, if that's how they want to go about it, I mean – it, it, it doesn't cost you anything to do it. Whereas you might go to court, it'll cost you for a lawyer and all this and all that. You know, you can still refer with a lawyer, um, but you come to the table by yourself. Is it possible for you to maybe, um, maybe like speak to a, a lawyer or maybe even like a I know, like, people who do, like, prepaid legal, which is definitely a many, many, many steps down from a lawyer, but to maybe speak with them to get their input on it. Because, I, I mean, I definitely understand, because if you're saying that they're, if they have no morals or no conscience about representing Donald Trump or other harassment, that, that definitely seems like that's red flags to me because if they were to do something to you, whether it's racist or sexist, then that seems like they would, no matter what happens, that company would automatically side with them. So that's definitely uh, alarming. Absolutely. Um, that's one of my concerns. So um, just looking for some feedback. Um, and I appreciate all the feedback that I can get. 
I would I think even if it wasn't a firm connected to uh, Donald Trump, I think just any employment, any place of employment, like the situation in North Carolina uh, with uh, House Bill HB, was it HB 52 or whatever it was, the big thing that they were upset about the uh, bathroom restrictions. I thought the more important aspect of that was them saying that you could not <clears throat> file any sort of, if you had a conflict or an allegation of wrongful termination with a place of employment, that you could not take them to court. Uh, you couldn't take them to state court. I thought that was one of the more uh, important aspects of that bill uh, that's not being discussed as much as the bathroom aspect. I think any place that you work where they are saying, well, they're setting conditions uh, that are contingent upon you being hired, they are placing rules in place that are going to favor them. If there's any sort of dispute, if there's any sort of disagreement, if there's any sort of allegation uh, that they have mistreated you in some manner, that they're already going to have a process in place that is favorable to them, that is going to be biased to them. I think that's super important to understand uh, going into a work environment. And I think also why Mr. Fuller recommends going with the Constitution uh, so that you can uh, kind of have some tools that you can use that supersede some of the things that they might want to do in terms of keeping you uh, on their rules or in their arbitration system, if that makes sense. Yes, it does. Um, that is exactly what the arbitration agreement is um, saying. As I, you know, that that's exactly what it is. That's what I surmise that you cannot take them to court. You have to go through them first. And actually, there is a fee involved. There are fees. Um, there are fees involved. Do you know if that's something that's legal for the state that you're in? Because I know, like, I'm in Ohio, and I think it's like a, a right-to-work state. Is that, do you know if that's something that is legal for that state? Yes, actually, I did a little research on that, and it is legal. Um, there are different uh, little clauses that aren't allowed in Maryland that are allowed in other states, but basically their documents, they have, um, they, they have, definitely cross their T's and dotted their I's. Um, I am assuming that uh, the companies that they re represented, this is just a, an assumption, um, that they have had um, harassment problems and probably larger um, uh, issues before. And this uh, contract right here kind of gets them out, out of, gets them in the clear. It, it clears them from any, um, anyone pursuing court, court of law. That's what I see collectively. So I'm not sure if that's it, but that's what I'm reading. Um, and at this time, I don't have time to really go through it, but um, I can like read bits and pieces as I call back uh, from here on out just to get like a, a understand a better understanding. Huh. That would probably be cool if you have the time and interest once you kind of get more time to go through the document to kind of share some of the significant portions that stand out. I was just going to ask, uh, you said with the arbitration uh, process, do you have to pay out of pocket if that's something that you choose, like to engage in? Do you have to pay out of pocket for any sort of arbitration? Yes, there, um, there's a fee chart, actually. Um, I, I went on the company's website and I noticed the, uh, the ch they have a chart for fees. Um, it's not mentioned, it's, it's not in the contract, but um, I actually dug a little deeper and just looked into the company to see what they were about. And 
there are fees, but initially when you when you actually when you when you when, when you file, there's not a fee. But if you want to like meet in person, then there's a fee for that. And if you want to meet again, there's a fee for that. And you know, it's like an a la carte type of thing where you know everything that you do, there's they attach another fee onto it. Similarly to a to a to an attorney, you know. Similarly, in in this case, um, you can't go you can't go through the courts. Hmm. Very interesting because I've never seen this before. Very conniving, in my opinion. Is <laughs> uh, as you definitely as you go through the docket, I, the document, I'd be interested in hearing some of the details that you read and and find out more about it. But I mean, that's that's the sort of thing I think is great to have as much of that information up front, so you know what you're getting into. Um, if you begin to have any problems uh, on the job, you already in advance know the procedure that they're going to try to lead you down. So you can already have some strategies in place for what you want to do. So this works out to your best interest. I think that's the significance. I have a question. You said you can't go to the courts at all, or you have to go through the arbitrator first. And then if he can't, or if he can't get a, a settlement, then it can be proceeded to a, a court. Um, you can you go through the arbitrator first, and there's um, also a series of things that you must do. Like, um, for instance, you just can't like if like if you don't agree with um, if you don't agree with 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 their findings, then I don't know the right terms, but I'm just going to say if you don't agree with it, then then you can um, appeal. But I think you have to like go through this appeal process um, first, and then go to the court. So it's um, by that time you're racking up like five or six thousand dollars in fees. <laughs> so it's it's very interesting. And um, if anyone gets the, I can actually send the link. But um, Marcus Washington was um, smart enough to actually um, tape his arbitration, uh, his conversation with the arbitrators on, on SoundCloud. So you can see where they're very sneaky and they're, you know, trying to talk around him, but he's highly intelligent and very effective. Um, and, and this is just him with the arbitrators. Are the employees on the, on the job, are they unionized? No, this is, no, this is not a union. Okay. Okay. I can see that. I can see that happening on a lot of jobs on what you're, what you're talking about, especially, uh, Ones where the employees are not don't don't have an organized union. I, I can I can see that happening on a lot of jobs because that's that's what that's what uh, 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 owners do. They they try to make it as as uh, unpleasant as possible uh, for the employees, knowing that you know people got to work, but at the same time they're going to put it put things in in the favor to whereas. If something goes wrong, they can't be harmed in the process. But uh, it, it, that, it just reminded me of, a, of, of something that I brought up uh, to Gus and everybody else. Uh, uh, Fire Captain Faye Davis, I think I mentioned uh, weeks ago that she was uh, uh, suing uh, Dade County Fire Department uh, because of them uh, – uh, not promoting her. Uh, I just found out. Now, this is from a third source. It's not exactly from the newspaper or anything else that could be considered to be factual. 
uh, although the newspaper is not factual in a lot of cases, but but uh, it's from a third party that basically said that they had they had uh, the, uh, the the court appearance slash trial, and it went to a mistrial because something about the uh, a female that was uh, <coughs> excuse me involved with the court proceedings. I think they have been talking about it out of turn, so it went through a mistrial. And the way that sounds like to me, anybody can correct me if I'm wrong, it sounds like to me it's just going to be a process where Miss Davis is going to have to spend some more of her own money to to uh, go back through the process again, which is not unusual. That that's that's something that that uh, that they that they do on on jobs uh, uh, is they play on the fact that the person who is suing is going to run out of time and energy and money before they get anything of correctness out of what they set out to do. So that's an update on that with Miss Faye Davis, Captain Faye Davis. Hmm. Uh, any of the other folks who dialed in, if you had a question either about the situation we've been talking about or anything the other callers brought up or if you had your own situation or observations, anyone we have not heard from at all, you should be with us. And may I be heard? May I be heard? Yes. Uh, let's get the female caller first. Okay, everybody. Thank you uh, for taking my call today. And I got two workplaces. Um, I'm out of Iowa, and I, I don't know if anybody remember what happened with me, but I'm not working right now. I, I was fired because of job refusal, but um, the one that I have is I applied at a job, and I got the job, but I didn't pass the drug test. Um, I went to Colorado Springs a couple weeks ago, and it was uh, my fr- my two friends, they got married. Um, they're military folks, and it was a like a weekend wedding party. So we celebrated all weekend, and they got married on um, Saturday night. But I came back and applied at a job, and I actually got hired when I came back the next day, took the drug test, didn't pass it. Um, the medical people called me, and they were asking me, you know, do you take any drugs that can have marijuana in them? And I told them no, but I told them I did go to Colorado Springs, and I was, you know, it was a wedding party that I went to. And they, they told me, okay, we understand, and you, I mean, if you want to, we we can't tell you what the manager of the store that you applied to is going to say, but if you want to, you can go and just explain to them what happened, and there's uh, there's a chance that you can still get hired. But I didn't. I didn't go and see what they were gonna say because I I already know what they were gonna say. So I didn't. I didn't even go and up there and do that. And my second one is I was working. I've worked a lot of call center jobs. So about six or seven years ago, I was working at this call center job, tech support. Worked there for a couple of years. It was great. It was a. Um, it was like a, a larger company that would. Um, get contracts from other companies, and we, we would help them out. So I, I don't work there anymore. That was a long time, but a couple months ago, I get a letter in the mail 
saying that there's a class action lawsuit out against this company that I'm, I'm a part of because they did this while I was working there. What they were doing is um, when we were punching in on the computer to start our day, we were getting, we were getting um, charged or, or we weren't getting paid for getting prepared for the day, like for putting on our headset and for bringing up all of the systems that we had to bring up. So they were not paying us for that. An employee or, or more than four or five employees must have got together and sued them. And so now I got that letter in the mail. I don't know about any dollar amount or anything. It could be like a $2 check. Who knows? Because I'm sure there was um, a lot of employees involved in that. And I just wanted to point that out and say that because that's that's the games they'll play. E- even if it was just two or three minutes, if they can take that from you, they they will. But um, some some of the employees, they did a lawsuit, so they're going through that right now. And I haven't got an update. I got that letter months ago. And um, the last one is... I was I was going out to eat with me and the children, and I have teenagers, so they're looking at possibly starting to work. So we went to this popular fast food restaurant they were hiring. We walked in there. We were going to order something, but one of the employees behind the counter was he was going off. He, you know, I don't want to work here anymore. Everybody, I mean, loud, he cussed words, everything. It didn't even seem safe. We didn't even eat there. But when we got in the car and we were driving back home, I asked the children, you know, you all are going to get into the workplace. How would you handle someone like that? You know, yeah, he was walking out, he was quitting, but he seemed like he was aggressive in doing it. Um, my daughter said she would, if it didn't seem like it was getting safe, she would just leave. And my son said the same thing, and I agree with him that that was the correct thing to do. Um, and those are the things that I had. That's my updates and my two workplace racisms. And thank you so much. Hmm. Thank you for uh, for sharing. Um, I guess before I get comments from other folks who are tuning in just uh, that moron says consistently sobriety would be best under conditions of racism Um, one of the things that I've said as well even if with all this legalization it doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to change having uh, drug testing for different uh, places of employment Uh, they even have some of that still in Washington State where they can drug test if you are going to apply for a job there Um, and I've also said that the racism aspect with those tests that they've had the data for years for decades now that those tests frequently can be biased against black people uh, where they're testing for uh, THC the active uh, agent in cannabis uh, end up uh, it's saying that your test that you failed your test when that isn't true uh, or if you're around people and they're consuming uh, it can get in your hair depending on how they test if they're testing for it in your hair or in your uh, urine or whatever it is uh, that if you're around people and they're particularly if they're smoking where it can be in the air it can get in your hair and what have you where you can end up testing positive just uh, lots to think about with all of uh, that and in my opinion I suspect that's one where whites have a lot of discretion if they say that it's a drug test issue 
uh, where if you had been white, maybe they, maybe this is a big deal. Maybe it's not. I could be in error, but that's my general assessment on that. Uh, did other folks, did they have uh, questions, uh, particularly people we haven't, haven't heard from? Uh, did you all have comments you wanted to get in or questions? Uh, Gus, I did want to speak to what you just discussed, too. Um, I've, over my studies, I found that specifically black people, even black people who do not use marijuana, have tested positive for marijuana. And um, from what the studies that I've read have shown, it's something about our melanin that triggers that reaction. So there are black people who have never been around people who uh, smoke marijuana, never tested themselves, and still tested positive. So, so you're absolutely right. And just something else I wanted to throw out there, um, the black female did say that she's done, like, uh, cough synthesizers and things of that nature. Um, you might want to try a website called Angel List. On that site, they have uh, startup jobs, and startup jobs basically don't even do drug testing. Um, they tend to pay extremely well. Um, and it's something that you might want to look into for your area. There might be some startup company that might be looking to hire someone to, to do customer service, phone work, things of that nature, and they tend to pay, um, I would say, probably top salaries for that sort of work, and they don't drug test pretty much. You can just go, you know, you go through the interview process. Once you've made it through the interview process and they check your references or whatever else they might do, you just get the job and, you, you know, you can move forward. So that's something for, you know, for you and maybe other people who might be into that same field. Thank you, and I'll mute my line. Tell me, tell me that website again, please. Sure, it's angellist, A-N-G-E-L-L-I-S-T dot com. Okay. Thank yes, you so Angel, listen, you're welcome, and I wish you the best and anyone else who, who you know, might be able to utilize that to their benefit. Thank you. Right on. Um, have you heard? Yes, sir. Uh, hey, yeah, this is Jarell again. This doesn't really have to do with workplace racism, but I don't get a chance to call in that much. I just wanted to say uh, to show it, um, I think Ms. Greenwood uh, about the marijuana was really good, and I just wanted to say a uh, shout-out to Dr. Wilson, and God bless her. I stopped smoking weed after her death as a tribute to her because I really wanted to stop. But after she passed, I really made it a tribute to her, a tribute to myself that I was going to stop because she really changed my mind about marijuana. So I just wanted to shout out Dr. Wilson and, and say that was a great show. Thank you. Appreciate that. Charlotte Green and Dr. Francis Cress Welsing. Always good to keep her in our thoughts and prayers. Uh, anybody that we missed completely, uh, or I guess even before I do that, one person did write in. She's been updating us over the past uh, few weeks about her workplace situation. She was terminated. They said she didn't um, contact a dispatcher on her job, uh, some lowly excuse to get rid of her. She had reported sexual harassment on the job, also something that had been going on for a while where she didn't say anything about it at first. Um, she wrote in the update. She said, yesterday I had an appeal hearing for unemployment after having three different people write letters saying that I did not report to the dispatcher when I returned from a run. My former employer did not show up, but instead sent in a fax to say that they would not be participating in the hearing. The hearing lasted about 10 minutes, with the judge asking basic questions about the job and why I was discharged. I was asked if there was anything else I wanted to add. 
The judge started shaking his head no to indicate to me to say no to not have anything to add. After the hearing, the judge turned off the recorder and immediately told me that he was shaking his head no because he had already determined that I had won and he didn't want to, me to say anything else. I was surprised because the judge was white but also pleased that it went in my favor. I'm glad I continued to fight because I wanted to give up. I think that's important, too, because I think even uh, the conversation today that we've had uh, just talking about a lot of times that is the strategy that racists will use. Uh, they will just wear you down, and everybody has a brinking point. I don't care how much – everybody, if you are a human being, you have a breaking point where you just get tired. And, I mean, uh, when you're dealing with racism, white supremacy, a system means you have lots of resources, including lots of other whites – that you can pull in to work for you and do things and tie things up uh, in court. So this, you know, can end up going on for years and years and years and years and costing lots of money. And you keep having to run all over town and go here and go there. And you just get tired uh, of messing with it and dealing with it. And, and particularly if you're just one person uh, kind of doing it by yourself, they can simply wear you down. Uh, that is a strategy that racists frequently employ. So perseverance is certainly patience is certainly something we will need uh, as attempted counter-racist, but I'm glad she uh, stuck it through and fought out her, her hearing for uh, getting her benefits. Uh, other folks uh, have comments, particularly anybody that we have not heard from. Do you have commentary you want to get in? Can I, can I be heard? Yes, sir. Oh, well, you were speaking to, uh, I guess, being fed up, and I just want uh, – basically, I quit my job the other day, and I feel a lot happier. Um, I haven't been working for like three days. And I say I feel like a burden has been let off my back, and I just wanted to say that. And uh, I might share some other stuff later. Hmm. What was the reason for you uh, quitting, if we may ask? Uh, it was just really far from my house, and I just became jaded. Like I sold cars, and like like people give you a lot of objections, and usually you overcome them. But like I was just to the point where somebody just said anything to. Uh, to, to even remotely sound like they weren't going to buy a car. I just shut down. So I just became real jaded and, uh, like, I don't know, I felt like I didn't have confidence in the process anymore. So I just quit. Hmm. Do you have, a like, a plan for your exit strategy? So oh, yeah. Just... I, so, I, yeah, I do, I do have another job. I didn't just quit uh, without another job. Uh, um, but, I mean, if even if I didn't have another, another job, though, I feel like I would have quit. So. I don't think the plan was necessarily the reason I quit. The reason I quit was because uh, what was going on at the job. So. All right, on. This is an uh, assault. Retired firefighter, you were going to comment? Yes, I just wanted to compliment the uh, the female speaker uh, when she was clinicking her her uh, offspring. <clears throat> about the incident that they witnessed at the, uh, the fast food uh, restaurant. I, I, I like that when, when parents get right on something that they saw and, and, and with, the, with the children and involve them in like a clinic about, you know, is this what do you think should be the correct way? Because that, that's, that's basically is, is uh, teaching codified uh, behavior. You know, uh, and uh, that, I, I really admire that on, on, on and, she, and she, and the way it sounded is that that's something that she does 
not just with that particular incident, but it sounds like it's something that she does on a on a common basis. That's a that's a real good thing with someone a non-white black person, especially that's attempting to be a parent on a daily basis. I I'll, I'll applaud her for that. Thank you, sir. You're welcome, ma'am. Anyone else that we missed completely uh, who has not been able to share at all who had a hand up? Can I be heard? Yes, sir. Thank you. Thank you very much, sir. Greetings to Gus, the host, the listeners and callers. I had quite a bit of observations, so I'll try and make them as quick as possible. Uh, the first was the circuit writer or the uh, pretty much the newsletter that goes out monthly, like on this this past one. Coming into October, there was two things that was very interesting. The first was there was a non-white person that retired recently, and uh, this person basically was saying she didn't want any kind of phony parties and some sense of... uh, false appreciation for her. She just wanted to just leave and just be done with it. So they pretty much uh, made a tribute, a small little paragraph tribute to this person, but her and her sister works there. This is how they get to work, two non-white females. They use the photograph of her sister, okay, like major error. They, you know, they use the, the picture of her sister to say that it was her that retired. So I'm thinking this is this is incorrect, but they never ended up changing it. So I guess they didn't really see that it was that much of a deal, that much big of a deal. And the second one was I was in the newsletter for uh, helping out two black male children, and their, their uh, mother and father was there to get a marriage license. So I had helped them color some pictures with crayons and whatnot and the the characters they had to uh the color for the children of color was a lot of pictures of the frozen characters so what was interesting was that all of the other characters were very you know generic abstract animals like frogs and giraffes and stuff but they just they kept going for the frozen you know i noticed that and uh you know so there was they were starting to color that, and I helped them color some things, you know, just to just to interact. And the uh, white female got a picture of it, and she wrote a somewhat of a positive paragraph, but the way it was worded made it seem like the children were misbehaving in some kind of way or making it seem like they were characterized as mischievous in a way but it didn't even necessarily go down like that. So it's almost how the media portrays black people inaccurately. But it was a a wholesome, positive interaction, constructive interaction. But I I just don't think the wording was all the way accurate. But I I appreciated the picture, though. Uh, And the the third was there was uh, this like this white female said that I was going to the dark side. And the reason she said that was I asked her a question. 
you know, because this this white guy he said, well, uh, what what's going to happen when I, whenever I leave here, you know, and I retire because he in his sixties. What's going to happen when I leave here and y'all can't have any of my uh, words of wisdom? So, you know, that was that was so vague. So I I didn't get any clarification on that. So he he insulted this uh, this white person by saying that. I guess she was talking about her taking some kind of test, and it's gonna. She's nervous that it might be a bunch of eight or nine year olds in there, and and she didn't want to make a mistake. And then the guy says, "Well, the mistake you made was thinking that you were an adult." So he started, you know, busting out laughing. So I tried to be constructive, and I was like, "You know, that's that's something that's incorrect to say. Is this what you mean by your words of wisdom?" And I guess she might have took it as me being sarcastic because, you know, I asked the question because, you know, I try to make sure, you know, people try to be constructive. So she mentioned something about, you know, you know, you shouldn't try and go over to the dark side with him. Basically, something based on what a, another white person said, that's supposed to be going to the dark side. So uh, that was that was that one. And. I had an interesting conversation with, uh, you know, my white coworker, and I pretty much let her talk. So I went and peed, you know, the story she was telling me. She basically was talking about two incidents that she had at her old job where she worked at a convenience store where people come to pump gas. And the first story she was telling me about how there was a – there was a, a black child that was in the store and he didn't have his parents with him. So she said the black child asked if he could, I guess, have a, some cookies or some candy or something that she helped, uh, help pick out some candy for him or something. And she just tells me out of nowhere that this black guy in the front of the store called a racist. So, uh, you know, she just pretty much just started talking to me about it. And what is interesting is that the two black females that worked in there were at lunch. Okay, so this is in the, uh, around the 1 o'clock hour. So she said the guy called her racist. Now, she never really told me, you know, what was the context. She just kept saying that, you know, well, you know, they kind of got into it a lot. And the guy called the police on this female. And the black cop or some cops came out there, and they pretty much took her side. She was telling me, yeah, you know, these cops come out here, you know, they get free food. You know, like, come on, like, basically saying, oh, they're going to believe this guy? Over me, no, that's not going to happen. And she was telling me, oh, they sent a black cop out here, and he pretty much said, oh, no, this is a cool, this this chick right here is really cool. So, you know, I'm just pretty much just listening to her. And uh, she basically just said that situation just died down. Like, they didn't believe the black guy. But she never really told me why he accused her of being a racist. And she said it was a second time that she kept using the word thug, the term thug. She didn't say whether or not the person was black. But from my assumptions, I think she was. Like, it was coded language because she kept saying, the, like, in the second incident that this black gentleman was, I guess, um, maybe screaming at and know the white person because the white person, I think, tried to hit the person 
with with his car or ran into him or something. And she pretty much intervened. She said she jumped over the counter, and another person, I'm assuming is a white person, in the store jumped to both of their aides. So she was saying, yeah, this little thug started uh, yelling at this older white person. So it was very crafted language, like how she was saying it. But she never said the person was black because she says, yeah, you know, they just try to, you know, take up the streets and, you know, it makes you want to run one of those thugs over and, uh, yeah, and once you do it, they want to call you a racist. So she'll pretty much letting it starting to um, reveal itself. But the phone rang, so I had to go tend to a customer. But, yeah, that was that just happened today. And, uh, and another interesting uh, observation, because this is a person who goes out of her way to, you know, buy things for uh, black people's birthdays and uh, does all kinds of, I guess, good things for them, but still has that mindset, that behavior. And uh, that's that's all I have. Thank you. Profound. Profound. I took notes. Uh, she had so many different things that <clears throat> came up on the job this week. Um, the first one in terms of just trying to encourage uh, correct behavior on the job I think that's one of the ways that we can practice counter-racism, where you never have to say racism, just encouraging correct behavior. Uh, where you were saying that the white guy was trying to make his little uh, snide remarks, like, you know, the mistake you made was thinking you were an adult and this other type of, of conduct. Uh, it's generally, I'm not saying that nobody jokes on whites on the job, because they certainly do. But in the system of racism, white supremacy, black people are supposed to be the folks catching the brunt of any sort of harassment or mistreatment. So uh, just, you know, whatever we can do to try to discourage that on the job. I think that we had a black female caller earlier today was talking about how uh, this white woman who is sexually terrorizing her on the job, uh, that unfortunately some black uh, male coworkers that they had made some comments about her uh, figure before and the whites kind of picked up on that and continue the harassment just that's really one thing that we should really try to uh, enforce uh, demonstrate in our own behavior constantly just we support justice we support correct behavior and not talking bad uh, about name-calling uh, other black people on the job um, <clears throat> also thought um, the white person that was accused of being a racist uh, and they sent out uh, black enforcement officials, and they thought, oh, this is a cool – that – I, I cannot emphasize that enough. That is one of the strongest components of keeping a system of white supremacy going, where you got to have John Brown, Jane Brown, Timothy Wise, Dr. Peggy McIntosh. Uh, you got to have some of these individuals uh, that, hey, this is the coolest fella in the world. And such and such is just great. And, you know, they participated in about 20 rallies and we road trip to Ferguson together. I mean, what do you mean? This person is racist. Get out of here. Huge component uh, of maintaining white power and making sure that, you know, there have to be at least, even if it's just 10, 15, 20, small number, even that is huge uh, in terms of uh, contaminating our thinking uh, about what it means to be classified as white. Um, the circular that you were talking about, I think that was the very first incident that you uh, mentioned, this newsletter that they 
uh, sent around. You were in it, and uh, I guess they had some other folks in it as well, this uh, black female that was retiring. If I heard correctly, where they did not include the correct picture, they had a picture of her sister. That's just the epitome of tacky, if I heard that correctly. Uh, where Did I hear it correctly? Yeah, yes, sir. Okay. Yeah, that's that's just the epitome of tacky, in my opinion, where it doesn't matter. One nigra, two negras, it's all the same. Just you know, get, get, get somebody's picture and just put it in there. I mean, I cannot imagine it being that sort of shiftless effort. Uh, if it was a white person that was retiring and, you know, we want to show them some gratitude for their time and energy and how long they've been an employee, part of the family, because that's the type of language they normally employ, part a part of our family leaving and we can't even have the dignity uh, take the time to get an accurate photograph to show our appreciation for that. I mean, that's that right there lets me know all I need to know. Good riddance. I hope I will not bump into any of you all after retirement. Um, I will stop there, although there were a few other things in there I thought were really uh, important as well. But just again, emphasize support justice on the job, no name calling, and hopefully that will rub off onto other people in terms of how we conduct ourselves in a workplace environment. Uh, did, were there other folks? Was there someone else? Were you going to comment? Did I miss somebody? Anybody that we have not heard from at all have commentary that they wanted to share? Anyone that we have not heard from at all? Can I be heard? Yes, sir. Uh, greetings, Gus. Greetings, all the callers and listeners. Long time uh, listener, first time caller. Uh, I call myself TC. Uh, I work for a large tech company in the uh, the Bay Area, and I'm kind of needing some help from you all. Um, I am dealing with a suspected white supremacist female. Um, we've had um, kind of a, I guess, an issue, if you will, uh, and I'll try to make this as short as possible. Uh, I was assigned to uh, assist her in a project uh, that she was working on because she was uh, overburdened. Um, and so that was supposed to be a part of my regular work duties. So, um, you know, I would assist when necessary, but that was not the entirety of my job duties. Um, so I was pulled from that uh, project to another project, um, and I guess she thought that I was still supposed to, to be helping her, uh, but I guess in her mind, she meant she thought that I was just supposed to take over the it completely. And this created a climate where she would ask me if I was going to be able to help her today, with, but because I was working on other more high-priority uh, tasks, I uh, would have to inform her that, you know, hey, I can't today because I have this to do or, or that to do. Uh, long story short, she became very short with me. I noticed that her... Um, her attitude towards me and even her, um, I guess, body language became very aggressive. And so one day I just pulled her to the side and said, hey, like, do we have an issue? Because uh, I, I believe that in a system of racism and white supremacy, you have to take all precautions to diffuse certain situations because, oh, here's this other, this angry black man that's uh, not trying to do his job. So I tried to get ahead of it uh, and just say, hey, is there an issue um, and then we got into a dialogue, and, and I'm speaking to her as calmly as I'm speaking to you guys now, and she goes, oh, why, are you, why are you raising your voice at me? Once again, white female victim role. I said, you know what, let's do this. Let's pull the manager in. So I pulled uh, the manager in so we could have somebody to mediate, because once again, I'm just trying to think ahead of 
all the issues that she could probably try to try to play me on. I said, you know what? Let me have a third party in so she can't try to say that I was trying to be the aggressor in, uh, in any kind of way for the, the during the situation. So we got that ironed out, I guess. Um, and then I've been noticing increasingly ever so much, like today and yesterday, she's been really watching my movements. She's been looking at my computer screen because, I'm sorry, we sit right next to each other. So she's been bringing out her notepad and, and taking notes about my movements. So I guess, Cal's family, what I'm trying to figure out is how should I best uh, attack this because I definitely want to remain codified but also, you know, let her know that it, it's not okay, uh, you know, for her to kind of be watching my movements when I'm there just trying to do my job to the best of my ability and stay under the radar. I'll mute my line. I would um, pull out my notepad every time she pulls out her notepad and take notes about her at the same time and see how she likes that. I'm guaranteed she'll stop. Uh, actually, Thomas, I'm glad that you uh, brought that up because that's exactly what I've been doing. Uh, you know, every time she, she has her notepad out, I break mine out as well. Uh, but, what, you know, the one thing that I'm kind of gauged to as well, Thomas, is just trying to make sure that I don't do anything that will come off as, let's say, me being spiteful or, or me being mocking because that's only going to give her more ammunition and I'm trying to not engage with her as much as possible. You know what I mean? Could you get relocated? Yeah, actually, I'm going to try to do that too, retired firefighter. What's, what's going on is actually the manager is uh, at how fortuitous is this on the right. He's out of town uh, on vacation until Tuesday. So, But that's definitely first on the priority list. Uh, you know, once he gets back. As far away as possible. Agreed. Very much agreed. Any other suggestions uh, for our mail caller who dialed in? Any other suggestions? With uh, just document, uh, and I would assume that you are being watched anyway. I think the mail caller that dialed in to give us the update uh, a while back where he said that uh, he had done some boxing and apparently apparently the person, one of the his coworkers that found out went and told everybody else once they got upset with him about reporting the sexual harassment. There is so much networking going on anyway that we are not aware about. Networking, watching, making notes and observations about our behavior. There's so much of that going on anyway that you should just assume, even if you don't see the notepad and pen uh, out and active, that that's what's happening anyway, that they're making all sorts of mental notes uh, and remarks and observations about us anyway. That's what the entirety of racism, white supremacy has been. So uh, I would try not to let that uh, unnerve you. That's just reminding you that you are behind enemy lines and that should be reflected in your behavior. And I, I agree, take your own notes, if that means having your recorder present or notepad, whatever that means, but take your own documentation uh, of things that are happening. If you can get distance from her, fine. Uh, if not, I would just be uh, very alert uh, to things that are happening in that environment, particularly if you've got a white woman playing the, the victim role uh, successfully uh, and getting others to believe that you have wronged her somehow. 
actually got a good question for you guys. What, what I was thinking about doing, uh, just trying to put my, my intellect to use, is maybe trying to flip the script a little bit and, and play the, the black victim, you know, almost as if, you know, really let them know that I'm the one that's being terrorized um, and just kind of maybe speaking with my manager and just saying, hey, you know, she's watching me. It makes me feel uncomfortable. I want to come here and just do my job. Uh, and be happy doing my job at XYZ. I mean, do you guys feel like that will kind of like turn in the table? Do you think that that would be a viable option for kind of combating the type of terrorism? I would suggest that um, usually they don't allow black victims. Um, the white people are usually always the victim. They will flip that on you. They they want you to speak, say something specific that happened, so they can um, pretty much tell you that oh, it's not being racist or whatever. I wouldn't. I wouldn't do that. I think um, you know, if you could try to move, um, you should anticipate it. And um, I would um, take those. And what what's bugging me is that I wouldn't be surprised if you know the Voltron effect. If she didn't go and say something to another white person, and that other white person told her to start taking notes, you know, and they they got her back completely, you know, like hey, I'm gonna tell you how to get rid of that nigga. I take a note, you know, just, just how they function in the workplace. They're all together. I agree. Uh, I don't think – I was just going to say quickly, I don't uh, – they do not allow black victimhood. I think exactly as Thomas said, they would probably immediately go to, wait a minute, where is your proof? What are you talking about? You're a, a victim. Who did something to you? When were you mistreated? They're going to want exact – proof, exact evidence, and then if you provide it, they're probably going to say that's, that's not victimhood, and nobody mistreated you because you're black. That's, that would be what I expect to happen, and an even stronger marshalling of white forces to uh, mistreat you or cause just more problems for you. I don't, uh, I could just see a lot of ways where that could backfire. Uh, was someone else going to comment? Yes. Um, is there anyone else around that sees her, like preferably a non-white person, um, is there anybody else that is around that sees her taking these notes and basically is being subliminally hostile towards you? Um, no, because like I said, I, in the company that I work for, I said it's a, it's a tech company, so I mean, we're pretty much working on our individual tasks, so there's not a lot of like collaboration where people would be able to look up and around. Most of us are, you know, just looking at our computer screen doing, you know, doing our jobs, and I also make a point you know, actually, this is how I catch up on the archives and have my headphones on, you know, listening to something other so I don't have to focus on her or anything else other than just doing my job, which kind of seems weird to me because that's what I'm doing, my job. But if I get up to use the bathroom or if I talk to somebody or if I pick up my phone to <laughs> change the track on, on the podcast that I'm listening to, like, I just notice they're picking up you know, her notepad and writing. I think that could be tough, too, because they might take the position, well, you know, you don't know what she's writing, and you don't know if she's writing about you, per se. You're just being paranoid. Have you I could see them taking that position as well. Have you had a chance to look at the notepad as she maybe walked away from her desk and maybe at least turned it around or something like that to know that maybe she's writing, okay, well, 8.05, he's messing with the phone, 8.10, he's doing whatever? 
No, uh, I, I can't. It's it's like it's not like a uh, a legal pad. It's kind of like a one like a one with a cover. And like I said, the last thing I need to do, you know, is black man going on a white person's desk. You know, if I get, you know, that would do more harm than good. I'm sure you all would agree as well. Yeah, I, I agree uh, with that assessment. I just I, I think with some of what Thomas shared and some of the other folks in terms of uh, at least right now, I wouldn't uh, go the black victim route. Uh, I would be alert. I would have my own notes about things that are happening uh, in the workplace and uh, just be alert to see where they go next, whatever her next plan of attack against you is. But I wouldn't I wouldn't go the black uh, victim route. I would see if you are able to, to, to get moved to a different location that might ease some of the conflict, uh, but just be alert uh, and know that, you know, she probably is going to be trying to make some problems for you. But I, uh, yeah, I wouldn't, I would agree. I don't think snooping around on her desk, but I also wouldn't even go with the go to make some sort of accusation about her taking notes about you just because you could be wrong about that. She could lie. And it seems like you probably don't have proof of what she's actually doing when she's, you know, writing on this pad or what have you. So I probably wouldn't recommend that either. Yeah, because if you play victim, she's going to trump you because she's going to go in there and play super victim. That's what white people play. The super, like, super, superheroes, it's super victims. And once one's here, it's a wrap, you know? So I, mm-hmm. I would just um, stay away from that office right now. Unless she calls you a nigger and you can prove it, like, you know, something like that, that's the only way you can prove that she's doing anything inappropriate. I think Mr. Fuller said it's impossible to prove a white person's practice of racism. Text message, something like that, get in her Facebook or something, get in her timeline and pull up some, something she, she texted or tweeted and um, send that to HR. That's the only option. No, that's definitely very constructive, Thomas. Thank you. I, I, I appreciate you guys so much for the platform, and uh, I'll be sure to call back in uh, with any further development. I'll mute my line. Give us the updates, uh, different callers. Definitely appreciate it if you have a situation. Because uh, like I said, you know, we're all still learning, so uh, you might say, hey, whatever. They didn't know what they were talking about. I got my own plans for how I'm going to successfully resolve this. Let us know. Uh, that way we can, we can get better. We can see how these things uh, evolve, uh, not just from, you know, we're gawking at, at whatever your situation is, but from all of us just trying to learn and uh, refine our strategies uh, for what to do uh, with regards to uh, workplace racism. Uh, anybody have other other observations, other comments? Uh, last few uh, minutes as we wind down on the broadcast. Uh, anything else, folks? Wanted to make sure they get in. Yeah, I wanted to say that God will call back in and um, chimed in and filled us in on this um, situation where the white woman was coming on to him in the elevator and um, made some comments, and he did exactly um, I think what was the advice on the show and um, how the white men. Um, Form like Ultron against him. And, um, man, you know, I think um, Mr. Wise called it pseudoscientific BS, but that's not even like, I mean, that that is the theory. You know, genetic annihilation has to be a white woman he's talking about. You got to get ready. You got you to gotta put him in line real quick, just how they formed. Um, even um, in the one Roz gave, there was a coworker who a white female, he rejected her, and all of a sudden now her and other white people were trying to get rid of him. 
Um, that's all genetic annihilation fear. That's all that, 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 you know, which I think is the only thing white people fear is genetic annihilation, which is why they go so hard to prevent it. And um, that was the preemptive strikes, you know, pretty much saying, you know, I'm going to kick you because this white woman wants you and can produce an Obama with you. You know, it's like that's what they're thinking, you know, and it's just that was a great um, – Great, because I think somebody, I think a firefighter, when he gave that scenario, he said, you know, um, you know, the other white men um, will look and see, like, you know, oh, um, she likes him, hmm, you know, and they would form then, you know. So either way, you, you're screwed in that that moment. That's a very, I'm glad he called back in. Very good. Uh, other folks have comments they want to make sure they get in. I bit my lip uh, for the program, so I've been trying to keep some ice in my mouth by uh, sounding a bit odd, uh, or if you can hear the uh, hear the ice. Uh, folks have other comments, observations they want to make sure they uh, got in. Everybody uh, satisfied? Make sure we're not missing anybody flying in uh, under the last few minutes. Again, Allison Manswell, she'll be on the program next Wednesday. It'll almost be like we have back-to-back uh, episodes of Workplace Racism next week. Uh, any of the situations that you we've been dealing with and talking about, uh, if you want to dial in next Wednesday, 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific. She is a black female uh, to kind of see what her thoughts are. She's given uh, talks, lectures, written a whole book about workplace racism. So that should be uh, hopefully very constructive to kind of get some of her views. She seems to be really uh, sincere in her efforts uh, to try to give out some constructive uh, strategies. So that's next Wednesday. Uh, We'll have back-to-back days of workplace racism. Other folks have uh, any comments they want to make sure they get in? Because did you see the doctor today on the airplane um, trying to help a white person and um, being told she's not a doctor? Wow. I uh, did not see that. Yeah. I, I sent it to you. Um, absolutely. I mean, young female pretty doctor. I mean, and um, no, sit down, ma'am. I, I don't want to hear what you have to say. Oh, I'm a doctor. I, I'm a physician. What kind of doctor are you? I mean, questioning her while the guy's sitting here dying. And then a white guy jumps up and says, he's a doctor. And, okay, you can sit down now. He's a real doctor. I mean, unbelievable. Mm. That is the system of white supremacy. I might even uh, invoke Dr. Eddie Moore, Jr., founder of the uh, White Privilege Conference, his concept of uh, the theory of incapability, where he says that whites, they are not capable of seeing black people as scholars, scientists, doctors, lawyers, attorneys, intelligent human beings that we've just got to be, you know, thieves, drug addicts, crack babies. That's pretty much all we can be as Negras. Um, but, yeah, I'm, I'm not surprised. I'm looking at the report from his email now. Uh, folks want to check it out. Racist flight crew almost let a man die as they didn't believe a black woman was a doctor. Degrees don't mean anything. Uh, folks, I have other uh, comments. Can I be heard? Yes, sir. I just wanted to ask a specific question about a specific type of, uh, like, white supremacist I feel I encounter working, like, at sales job. 
um, there's always like these dudes, like super Republican, super uh, gun nuts, really into like just right wing everything. But they all, I noticed all of them listen to rap music and they try to hang around black people. Like does any like does that happen in any other type of uh, job? Because I noticed selling cars, like almost every white person that worked there was like exactly the same. Like no, they all were like in the sports. Uh, like just really like listen to like all types of rap music. Like what? But they all were like extra, extra, extra right wing Republican. And I want to know if that was uh, normal in any other type of. Uh, uh, feel i think that's well, pretty I, go ahead ma'am go ahead ma'am i'm sorry um I, I was actually um listening to black talk uh, radio earlier with um brother Kwabana, and he was actually talking about how detrimental like uh, rap music is so it kind of makes sense for a uh, a white supremacist or a suspected white supremacist to listen to rap because if all rap is saying how much we are are niggers and and bees and hoes and stuff like that, if it's so self-hating, then it almost kind of makes sense for them to like that because it just reconfirms in their mind all the bad things that they already think about us. I I completely agree with her. Uh, so I would put in there is. Uh, music that is called rap, uh, made by black people that is trying to be constructive, uh, and even talking about racism that, that just doesn't get the same type of promotion, generally speaking. Uh, but I would say even, even all the way back, if folks remember when we did the book study on the half has never been told where they had the passage where white enslavers, they would come and hang out in the slave quarters, of course, to rape black people, but also to listen to them playing music. Uh, that has been a long-running pattern uh, for staunch racists. Uh, I mean, you cannot get any more racist, forget right-wing, than, you know, give me a whip so I can go out and, you know, lash 100 black people and have them on my cornfield. Um, that's just a long-running part of racism that you can demonize and terrorize and rape and plunder a group of people, but you still have no problem going to enjoy them, sing a few carols or tunes or what have you. That's, you know, throughout the history of, of white supremacy, that is no conflict of interest. Even any form of entertainment, really, uh, if it's going to be music, whatever era, if it's jazz, the same white people that wouldn't rent black people a house uh, or wouldn't give them a job and sit around and tell nigger jokes about them all day long, we'll run into Harlem once the sun goes down so we can go to the cotton club and what have you and hear a few uh, niggers uh, sing some songs. Uh, that's, that's just a long-running aspect of uh, white supremacy, uh, just how they behave. We can go and listen to our rap music all day in our car, and then we come in and mistreat the black people at work. You know, if I could add to that, um, if you go back in Cal's uh, archives and check out the episode with um, MC Search, I mean, uh, the 90s Macklemore, you know, talking about, you know, white guys are bad people, and um, it, you got it. And um, came on to Cal's, and I mean, he had a deal with Nas. He's still not giving him back his publishing, even though he was supposed to. He could afford to buy it back from him, but he said, hey, I'm not going to take away my paycheck that comes every year from owning half of his royalties or however much he owns. So he's, I mean, he's a big-time racist, and he makes rap music, and 
and people would assume that he's not a racist. I would imagine most people would assume he's not a racist, and he's a big-time racist. And he switched from being white to being just a Jew halfway through the show as well. Yeah, and that's why I asked, because a lot of these dudes will be, like, around regular, so-called, like, I guess regular white people, they'll be classified as wiggers. So that's why it was, like, I understand that white people listen to rap music and are still racist, but it was just, it seemed like it's just, like, 90%. Like, they all talk, like, super fast, like, like almost in a rhymy way, and they be like, hey, yo, yo. Like, they literally, like, these dudes are like, man, it, it's hard to explain. It's not hard to explain. They are what you somebody would classify as a wigger, and they still are extra, extra. I mean, I guess. I guess I've seen that before, but it's just, it seems like it's just really common in where, uh, where I was working at, like, like literally every white person was like that. Like, no, it, like, like every single one. Okay. I think Dr. Oh, Absolutely. I just wanted to say real quick, I think Dr. Welsing would also want us to make sure they include the, the envy factor. Uh, and I think it, it reminded me even the black female who was talking about being sexually terrorized on the job where she felt there was an element, if I'm remembering correctly, she felt there was an element of envy uh, that this white woman had for her figure. Uh, and that was a part of these sexual attacks. I think that's a big aspect of it, too. I think whites, they have such an affinity, might even relate to Raza's consumption of black people, the envy of not having pigmentation, not having melanin. Uh, They consume us in a variety of ways, and then the angst about that is taken out in various forms of actually practicing racism against live human beings. But the consumption uh, of black people out of envy and racism, that is a very common aspect that takes a lot of forms. I think listening to various means, various types of black music is just one of those forms. Raj, you were going to add on? Yes. You took the entire, like the entire paragraph right out of my mouth. I was about to say it's a form of consumption. It kind of brings me to um, basically white is the new black. Only white people can act black and get and get away with their lives doing so. And then, um, like you said, they'll transform back into their white world being white supremacists, but they have the ability to, you know, act black. It kind of reminds me of um, uh, Neely Fuller in recent months. He was talking about the fact that um, – the, the white male's rectum is the new black vagina. And to me, it's like they're just the new, that's the new version of what black people are supposed to be, white people acting black who can go back to being white when they want to. And, you, and when you brought up the whole idea of consumption, that's exactly what was on my mind. They're consuming us, and then they go back to being their racist selves. Um, it, and, it, again, it reminds me of the Delectable Negro where they talked about that one, there was one, um, one slave owner who used to get such – uh, sexual arousal and just uh, even appetite stimulation from abusing black people that he would actually take to beating blacks before he would eat. So in other words, there's times that he went to bed without dinner because just abusing black people was the, the, the way that he got his gratification, even, even beyond eating actual food. So thank you very much for bringing that up. I'll meet my line. Uh, last few minutes, folks have anything else they want to make sure they get in? Yeah. Folks all satisfied? Nothing else they want to make sure you bring up? And I just wanted to add as well, um, another uh, white person who, you know, just to, to hammer at home that 
um, big slap music look at Eminem. Um, he, when the source, um, put out the song when he did when he was a youth calling a black person a nigga um, because the black guy took his black girlfriend from him, away from him, um, and he made a song dissing the black guy who took the black girlfriend he had and called him a nigga in the song. They went on um, to shut the source down, um, took it away from Benzino. Uh, he lost the source. I think um, some Jew, um, some white people came and snatched it up at a real low price, and it might even still operate, but it, it never had its luster that it once had, and that was done by Eminem. And here's this black man, I think four black people owned the source, uh, out of a job, um, in debt, all because of you know his power as a white man. Not privilege, power. Uh, we will be here tomorrow for the spook who sat by the door, Sam Greenlee. Uh, this is the second to last session, almost done. Uh, workplace racism still comes up quite a bit, home stretch of uh, Mr. Greenlee's book. Uh, normal time, 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific tomorrow. Anything else uh, folks need to get in, workplace racism related, or are we all uh, set for today's broadcast? Everyone satisfied? I will assume everyone is good. Uh, thanks, everyone, for participating. Uh, I will again say you can uh, email, and I will, you know, read your responses. Uh, you can, if you want to do it anonymous. If you have something you would like to ask uh, Miss Manswell, Allison Manswell, for next Wednesday, if you have a question you would like to ask her, you can email. Just get it to me before showtime next uh, Wednesday, and I'll ask her on the program. It will be like we have two days of workplace racism, which is probably apropos. Uh, because so many problems pop up uh, on the job for us. Uh, again, we'll be here tomorrow. We'll be here on Saturday. Uh, compensatory call-in, 9 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. Pacific. We'll be here every day uh, all the way through, I think, October 23rd. So just stay tuned. If you have problems, questions, guest suggestions, gripes, complaints, uh, drop us an email, untiljustice at gmail.com. Untiljustice at gmail.com. Listener-supported counter-racist radio. The blog address is racism-notes.blogspot.com. Racism-notes.blogspot.com. Listener-supported counter-racist radio. PayPal button is in the top right corner. If you're not in the PayPal, drop us an email. We will get you a physical mailing address. Uh, with that, Thanks to everyone tuning in. I uh, hope it has been a constructive investment of your Thursday evening. I be best under conditions of white supremacy. You never know when today will be the day that you bump into Darren Wilson, Daniel Holtzclaw, any other race soldier, badge or no, any face-to-face -face confrontation, under this, under these conditions, it could be a life-ending, life-altering incident in a matter of seconds. Uh, I do not think us being intoxicated is going to help us safely navigate these type situations. Racism is war being waged against black people at all times, worldwide, in all areas of people activity. Our conduct should reflect that at all times. If you're going to be in a vehicle, driver, passenger, even if you're going to be a pedestrian, you do not want to be 
intoxicated and get pulled over and have to try to explain yourself under those conditions. That's it. Creator, we ask that you help us remain patient with other black people, victims of white supremacy. We ask that you help us remain patient with ourselves. Remind us to demonstrate the highest levels of black self-respect at all times, in all places, each and every time we are in contact with another black person. It has been time. Replace white supremacy with justice immediately. Cal signing out. Thanks all for tuning in. Nigga, you so brainwashed. I'm a victim, no brother. Problem. You're a victim. I'm a victim of 400 years of conditioning. Shut up. The man has programmed my conditioning. Mm-hmm. Even my conditioning has been conditioned. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.